This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, LSPod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin? Sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com the talksport fan network is proudly teaming up with free for mental health awareness week this year we understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing but rest assured you're not alone there's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges honesty is key in any relationship if your friend asks you how you are feeling tell them honestly if you're going through a difficult time let them know Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to The Low Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a good shot! Rich, you okay? I am very well, and my journey into the 2003-04 season, my therapy from that season continues <laughs> by welcoming another member from that squad onto the podcast. So thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> but we'll get to that a bit later because I start from the start. I have a feeling I'll know the answer to this, but when you were young, who did you support, and who were your football heroes? Well, you might be a little bit surprised. Um, because support-wise, going to watch games anyway was definitely Wigan Athletic. Whoa! Yeah. Um, my dad is from that neck of the woods. Uh, I haven't really got any other uh, family in Liverpool, so it was probably more out of cost and uh, you know being able to get to the games and park up. And you know, I've got three brothers, so when we went to the we went to watch games only a few times. You know, it was a special occasion. Only a few times a year, a season. Uh, we'd go and watch uh, Wigan Athletic at Springfield Park. Um, so I didn't go to a Liverpool game until I was playing for them. 
Lovely stuff. So what I think of when I think of Wigan, especially when we were young, was when Wiener took over and uh, Martinez, Seba and Diaz joined yep. joined Wigan. Were you a, were you following them at that stage? I was, yeah. That was obviously huge, big news. Yeah, the three Spaniards, uh, the three amigos, and the, suddenly money came into Wigan. Um, I I mean, I, always, I had Wigan shirts and Wigan scarf and things like that. So they were always the results we looked out for. And, Sort of, it did pain me a little bit that when I, you know, became a player, uh, Wigan were too good for me. If you know what I mean, because if they'd have stayed around around those leagues, I might have been able to to play for Wigan, which would have pleased my extensive family from that neck of the woods. But I think they were Premier League and things, so I did play against them once in a pre-season friendly where I broke my foot. So my memories of of Wigan have tarnished, shall we say. Did you at least get to see him in the cup final? Uh, no, I went. I went to Wembley once in the playoffs yeah. um, with, with my dad and my brother. Not sure what year that was. Might have been Gillingham. They lost anyway. Uh, but went to the old Wembley to watch them in the playoffs. So yeah, it, it was Wigan Athletic to be honest. Yeah, nice. even though I mean we were a sporting family, but we weren't huge football fans. And my dad wasn't. You know, he was into other sports, cricket mainly. So. There wasn't that sort of, um, you know, people probably talk about the, the childhood and how it was the dad or the uncle that got them into a certain club. It, it, it was a bit more organic than that, I'd say. So leading from that, organic in the sense of just playing with your mates, playing at school and things like that? Yeah, playing with my mates, playing with my brother. I've got an older brother. I think that's well documented that people who've become professionals and, be, and become, you know, Good at sports. I've often had older siblings, and you know, obviously, it's, you need to be better than them. That's your main purpose in life, whatever you do. Merseyside is a is a great place to play football because it's a football mad region. It's a football mad city. So, what was your journey from being a kid that likes football that goes to watch Wigan with your family to someone who's good enough to get into the Liverpool youth setup? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, football is everywhere, so you know you're not thinking about it as a kid, but it's just you know absolutely everywhere on every street corner. Still is now. Um, so I, I was playing for the school. I didn't play for any um, Sunday league teams or anything like that, which is which is you know probably a bit of a standout. Um, it was playing for the school, and then I got into um, got into Liverpool schoolboys. So what happened? I mean, I was playing primary school, quite a big school in West Derby. And then uh, I moved schools, and I'm actually moved to the school where the Liverpool schoolboys manager worked. So he, so he, you know, he found me. You know, a couple of years too young for the team, but was straight away putting me in the the year six team, if you like, when I was in year four. And obviously, that was probably the first time when I thought, oh, okay, um, you know, I must, I must be quite good. So I played for Liverpool schoolboys. You know, there's quite a few like England youth players in there and things, and not really anyone who's played. You know, who's gone on to to, to be huge in the Premier League, um, but quite a few pros. I think I was one of the only ones who wasn't at a club. So he, uh, I remember him saying to me in school one day, um, "Do you know what a sense of excellence is?" And I said, "No, I had no idea really that you know the clubs had junior teams or anything. It was a bit bit out of the loop." So he was an Everton fan. No coincidence that I ended up at Everton. 
Uh, unbeknownst to me, he didn't you know he didn't give me a choice. He didn't say any scouts had watched or said anything. He just said, "Do you want to go to Everton?" So uh, I went along there for quite a long time. Maybe I was probably like on trial for about six months or something, which wasn't really a pleasant time to be honest. I felt because I'd just been kicking a ball around, and then it was you know sort of judgment or all eyes on you. So I didn't really enjoy that to be honest. I remember not getting signed on even though I'd been there for a long time but I didn't I never got like the jumper that the other kids got because I was obviously still on trial unbeknownst to a 10 year old really um, and I didn't ever really feel part of it yeah. um, with the other kid with the other kids as well so I remember leaving there and thinking well phew that's a bit of a that's a bit of a weight off my shoulders and then <laughs> you know basically straight away do you want to go to Liverpool? And I remember thinking, I'm, I think I'm going to have to go to Liverpool here. So I, it wasn't wow over the moon. And I, I recall a conversation with my mum where I, I think I actually said to her, do I have to go? Um, if you know what I mean. So I've obviously been talked into it, probably by my, by my dad a little bit, but not talked into it, but just, you know, go down, see how it is, see how you feel. And the atmosphere was just different straight away. You know, he obviously put it down to the coach, and you just felt, I just felt brilliant, enjoyed the training, just there was no pressure, just loved it. And I, th- I remember I, only, I went down and trained maybe once or twice and then played in a game or a little tournament at Melwood. Um, and then they signed me. It was a very, very different experience. And, I, you know, I just felt that I belonged and part of it, you know, and, and I signed after within a week, you know, which which was obviously very different. And then, you know, stayed there for a number of years. Normally when I talk to players about their journey, it's this unbelievable level of talent and support from families, but your upbringing and love of football seems normal. It seems Mm. like, I play football, you know, you know, this regimental side of it. That's where, as a kid, I stopped loving playing football because it became too serious and too regimented and the vibe wasn't good. But Mm. you were just like, I'll take it or leave it, you know. That's that's really, really cool. And is that something, because you work in youth coaching now for Liverpool, is that something that you remember as a 10-year-old when you're there coaching? junior players yourself are you thinking about what they're thinking because no 10 year old should have weight on their shoulders about playing football should they no absolutely yeah it's I mean I don't coach the elite teams uh, at Liverpool you know at the academy you know I come in contact with them sometimes it, it, it makes me shudder the sort of the pressure that is on these kids now because you know the academy is so professional and they're treated like superstars because if you're working back from how do we produce a Trent Alexander-Arnold, then you need to give him the best. And, you know, that is what you need to do to produce a Trent. However, obviously everyone knows the number of kids that don't make it, but they have been treated in that way. So I don't know what the answer is, but, it, it, you know, it's, 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 it's tough. It's tough for the kids. And to be honest, the kids are okay. The coaches are well-trained, but it's the parents... The, you know the biggest uh, obstacle at, at, at Premier League academies. Let me tell you, is the parents. You know, put, putting huge pressure. I luckily never had that, um, but I still felt it. Like I, like I mentioned, there at Everton. So, 
Yeah, I, it's it's. I always just talk to the kids about having fun. Yeah. You know, having fun, doing your best, enjoying it, and you know, never mind the outcome. It's you know more about the experience and the environment that we create. We talk about like it's like magic dust. It just goes over people, sensible people, and um, you know you deal. You, you, we can be dealing with you know. Uh, say top end businessmen or whatever, or people who've been very successful, really super intelligent people, sprinkle the football dust over them and the you know, the talking garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Strange things happen, yeah, when you the emotions of sport. Brilliant. So let's go back to you joining Liverpool. So during your youth spells, before you go into the like elite youth teams where it gets very very real and we'll talk about you being faster on record than Michael Owen and all that sort of stuff <laughs> um, who were your early coaches who were your teammates yeah we had a, we had a lot of you know there's even back then now there's a huge turnover but there was a there was a lot of faces that that, that came and went yeah, in my youth team one of the the standout player from when we were 10 years old was John Welsh who did play a little bit for Liverpool and capped at under 21s and things and he went to Hull and he's had, he's had some later success at Preston as well and Tramia and things he was absolutely head and shoulders above but he, he was matured young and he was a, you know he played England 15s and 16s and like I said the 21s and yeah he was around he was a, he was a fantastic centre midfielder yeah one that you would have absolutely you know you'd have absolutely said he, he was going to have a career in the Premier League, uh, but we yeah there was a there was a lot who who came through. The young younger age is more a group of scouts lads. As you get older, there's a bit more disperse and and you know there's a bit a few more characters from from a little bit you know farther afield that that come into the into the frame. But it was it was great. I was really lucky to have some intelligent, good coaches. You know who did create. They were ahead of the time creating that environment of, and it was being relaxed because I definitely needed that some of the some of the lads were just mad absolutely mad football and everything and you know keep you ups and practicing every minute I certainly wasn't like that you know I I, I always needed to feel like I belonged and, and and have that good strong relationship with the coach yeah who were your coaches there was a guy called Bill Bygoves who was the first coach who signed me after a week and I still see him as well he's connected to the club does a lot of charity work and things and what I would say about the coaches it's definitely not I can barely remember instructions and things and you know wasn't like they. I'd say they were a, I don't know if they were a good coach or not I can't remember but it, how they made you feel is you know we talk about that quite a lot now you know young players that don't remember necessarily what you've said to them but or you know or the instructions and things but they remember how they how you made them how they made you feel yeah and that was definitely the case at Liverpool. In contrast, uh, John John Owens, uh, this guy called John Owens, who he was academy manager at Liverpool at one point as well. Uh, he was England C, and he's still in football working um, for within the E Triple Triple P, I think. Um, you know, auditing clubs and things. Very bright fella. He was my under 13s manager at Liverpool. And he he was he was good, really good. Just you know, said a lot of nice things. Told me, you know, I was one of the group of the players that would play every every game. You know, there was he said there's four or five players that will always play 
you're one of them. And we were playing uh, wing backs as well because the first team were playing wing backs, and I was left wing back, and that was the that was the furthest deep I'd ever been. I, you know, I used to play you know, sort of striker number ten. School teams and things, you'd play centre mid because basically, if you were my height and you were good at football, you played centre mid because that was where the game was won at that age. You know what I mean? If you played out on the wing, you wouldn't get a kick. You had to get in the middle. But I ended up at left wing back for the first time uh, on the left, a position that obviously I played, you know, for Swindon as well. And it allowed me to start galloping up and down, which was basically that's what, you know, that's the, probably the main attribute that let me be a pro. And I started getting some long throws in as well for the first time. Realised I had that in my locker, so he was very influential. But we had a lot of good guys who were still... Paul Lever was like under 14s, 15s. He's high up in the FA, so I don't think it's a coincidence that these guys are, you know, serious, experienced people, you know, still within the game and high positions. You went up to... Um, well, you went up to reserves, didn't you? Yeah, so, yeah. So that's essentially... In the lower leagues, that's pro, isn't it? Were you on a pro contract at Liverpool? No, I wasn't. Um, I was around the time when uh, the scholarships came in, so it was like two years guaranteed. It had always been the YTS before then. Yeah. It became the scholarships, so the education became part of it as well. Because before then, you were just doing football. You were, you know, you were cleaning the boots and things like that. That stopped. I mean, I was, I was the first era when we moved to the academy. So you know, they spent thirteen million pounds on this new building quite a way away from the first team, which at the time was one of a handful in the country. So, you know, it was, it was Steve Ivey was behind that. If you're talking about influential people in, at Liverpool and in, in my career, I mean, I didn't come across until maybe I got to about 15. But Steve Ivey was the absolute catalyst for everything. And if you speak to any ex-Liverpool um, youth team player of, of around that era, you know, Steve Highway is absolutely massive. He literally was a one-man band at the start, driving it forward, saying this all needs to become more professional. I've seen better examples, best practice in Europe, wherever. He did all that, came to the club and said, we need to build the academy. And, you know, basically off the back of his ideas and what he'd seen, they built it and it revolutionised and everyone kicked on from there. There's this pace thing where the first thing that I remember when you signed was this this quote that you were recorded faster than Michael Owen. And that's kind of, to younger fans, it's kind of funny because they saw the tail end of his career where he wasn't fast at all, was yeah. he? But back in 98, he, well, he was just out of this world, wasn't he? How did, how did that come about? Well, that is a funny... I mean, that was, that was from my first interview. I mean, I hadn't done interviews. I hadn't done interview training. They do that now. That's, reg- that's regulation. We had a speed and fitness guy, which was, again, revolutionary. So, you know, when I was at the academy, we had Steve Highway, we had Hugh McCauley uh, doing the under-19s, and we had Dave Shannon, um, big, big influences on everyone, uh, doing the under-17s. Um, so there's about 20 of us in the building rattling around, basically. It's a, it's a huge building now, which is packed full of sports scientists and diet and nutritionists and all kinds of people. But back then, it was just, it was just us with those three guys. And then they brought on a, what you'd nowadays call strength and conditioning, or, but it was like a, it was a sprint coach and a speed coach. So it was a sports science guy called Jules. And he came in and then he, you know, he had all the gadgets, he was into everything. It was some brilliant research going on in Australia and this, that and the other. And he brought some speed gates, basically. So we did 10 meter, 30 meter speed gate um, test runs 
and this was brand new. This is it happens every day nowadays at the academy, but it was absolutely brand new. So we did this one time, and you know, competitive side of me was trying. Some lads were just going up, having a sprint. So I'm absolutely trying me, you know, and you had to start like maybe a meter behind. So we were st- we were starting a little bit further behind. So you got a bit more momentum, you know, a bit of pace up before you started. And all you got to do it registers when you break the beam. So I'm so I'm I'm, I'm saying to everyone, look, flick, get your arms out in front of your body. You know what I mean? Flick your arms out, break the beam a little bit quicker. So I do I do remember we did all this. Weeks later, whatever, Jules turns up and says, basically, you've done the same with the first team. That's how, you know, ahead of the game he was. The first team didn't even have anyone who was doing this type of thing with them. So he'd done it, and it was me and um, John Otsemabor, if you remember the name. He, he played for quite... He, he was really quick. I I was... I wasn't known for being the fastest by any means, but I was smart at this test. So if you put a test in front of me, I'll try and find a way to to basically cheat within the rules. So I remember him saying, um, it was me and John Semmerborn, another guy called Mark Pierce. Th- those two were really quick. And, he's, and he showed us, and, 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 and you know he was quite chuffed and he was made up because he was the sprint coach, so he wants us to be quick. And said we were quicker than Michael Owen. Now, how, how hard do you think Michael Owen tried in that sprint test? Do you know what I mean? The guy from the academy turns up and says, do some sprint tests. He's, don't even know when it was during the day or if there was a game coming up. So I must have mentioned that and I actually can't remember to... Um, I remember, John, I went down jumping onto swing and I went down to meet Andy King with my dad. We drove away and we stopped off just on the 419 or 417 or what we were at a little chef. And I had a phone call, John Ritson. Press, yeah. yeah, and he said, you know, from the paper, I'm looking at my dad thinking, what, 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 should I be speaking to this guy you know it just didn't have anyway so I, was chat- I obviously chatted to him can't remember what I said but I must have said in that very first interview uh, something about that. he must have asked me what attributes or something and I, I must have told him that story and then that is just it's brilliant how that story's <laughs> gone all the way through my career you know I don't know if it's on Wikipedia or, but it has been at some point but that is, yeah, that has carried some weight, that story. So, John, that's John Ritson's fault, I think. It's almost certainly on Wikipedia. Almost, I know. Almost certainly. <laughs> Before we leave Liverpool, you, you, I'm pretty sure, because everything up until about 10, 12 years ago, it's still really hard, for even for a team like Liverpool, to, to manage to sort of find archive results and things of your time. Now, I can find out what they... You know the under twos are doing at a football club. You know it's it's yeah. it's really really easy. But there was plenty of success. I mean, am I right in saying you won the under nineteens at Liverpool? We had some success in the FA Youth Cup. So a year above me, so I was I played up a few times. Uh, we got to the semi-finals against Blackburn, Ewood Park. Uh, I think we lost that, but we got to the semi-finals of the FA Youth Cup. We won again the year up. We won our league of the under nineteens. I do remember actually because the captain brought some champagne and things so and we were all 18, 19, some 17 year olds drinking champagne in the uh, changing rooms that wouldn't happen nowadays and then we then we played the sort of the North East League shall we say which was Nottingham Forest which I bet you if you looked at that team sheet uh, had a few names in it as well 
I don't know, maybe Dawson or Dennis or someone, but they were a very strong team. We beat them. And then we played Arsenal, which is which was littered with players, home and away, Anfield and Highbury. And we lost 3-0 at Anfield and then beat them 3-1 at Highbury and nearly nearly won the overall league. But yeah, we had success. We had we had success and, and actually players wise, if you you know you compare the Arsenal team to our to, to our team, Premier League appearances and things. Neil Mellor was probably the is probably the the biggest name in our team. It was people like John Wells played and uh, Darren Potter, who's had a good career, might have played. Uh, Stephen McNulty, who played at Luton and, and and Fleetwood and things like that. And, um, but but nothing that you would have thought. You know, if you're winning the under 19s league, you, you're thinking there's going to be a few Premier League players, but there wasn't. It was just a good team. Very tough back then. I mean, yeah. I think I think there's a lot more faith in academy prospects in 2019, but back in 2002-3, there was that surge of outside mm-hmm. signings, wasn't there? Yeah, we um, we had Gerard Houllier um, as manager, and you know he'd been involved heavily in the in the, in the French youth team setups and things, and he brought a raft of decent, but not, not that, not basically maybe not better than us. Do you know what I mean? So Gregory Vignal, for example, left back in my spot, uh, played, you know, quite a few games for Liverpool and, and played at Rangers and things. And and I remember Steve Ivey saying to me once, uh, he was trying to get inside my head, I think, and he said something like, "We talked." He got mentioned or whatever. And I remember him saying to me, "Do you think he's better than you?" And I'm thinking to myself, "I feel like he is." You know what I mean? And he basically was saying, I don't think he's got, you know, attributes that you haven't got, but he believes he's better than you. You know what I mean? That he was basically trying to say, have more confidence in yourself. It's 4-1. Matt Hewlett. Defending was awful. Absolutely awful. What was that moment like when you knew that your your Liverpool career was coming to an end? Well, it was quite. It, it wasn't abrupt. There was same. You know, by the time I get to my third year, uh, so they've, they've offered me a third year, not a pro, but to be honest, on pro wages, there was no cap. You know, no cap on the third year. So there was a couple of some guys had pros, some guys have gone. So we're starting to get down to eight, seven of us, six of us, five of us. Um, and then we're down, we're down to maybe three or four. So I was thinking to me, you know, if I'm honest with myself, I didn't think I was going to be, you know, go to the first team. We used to go up to Melwood when we were training with the reserves or whatever. And it was, for me anyway, it was just us and them. And it, it felt, you know, the people at the, you know, people in the first team, bar maybe Sammy Lee. Sammy Lee was involved, really good guy. Made you feel welcome. Had a bit of time for you, but but you know they're so fixated on the first team that there wasn't a bridge basically. So it was very much whoa driving up to Melwood. You can't get in the car park. Where do you park? Where do you go? Where do I sit in the changing rooms? You know all those mind games even before you start training. First team tra- players who are pissed off because they're not because they're training with the kids. They're not giving you any advice, giving you any hugs, giving you any love. You know what I mean? So it's it, it, 
I personally didn't thrive in that situation, like like I mentioned earlier. But we got down to the last couple, and apart from sort of John Welsh, who was up there training, let's say, uh, I can't think of anyone else. You know, they've released some people who've been pros and things. So I, I was still there. Steve Highway loved me. And it came down to me and um, Zach Whitbread, who, who went on to have a good career, who's a you know, really good mate of mine. Uh, and it came right down to the end of me and him. And basically, Steve Highway said, here you go. You know, if you're going back to the old YTS uh, days, Steve Highway would say, right, here's the two players for the first team and literally hand them over off his say. And he said, here you go, here's, here's, here's Nico and, and Zach. And they took Zach and then they basically took the feed. You know, they had a little meeting, they had a little chat and they said, no, Nico, we don't think Nico's good enough. Um, which didn't surprise me. It didn't, you know what, it didn't upset me. I wasn't in floods of tears. I'd have been, I'd have been petrified, to be honest, of, of, of going up there with, you know, these expectations where, you know, I, I'm good at judging sort of, feelings and, and people and you know they'd have been all over me if they wanted you know if they wanted me more and uh, another thing another little caveat but you know Steve Highway and Melwood didn't get on so again you know if that was real synergy then I would have probably found myself up there to be honest and they'd have trusted him or whatever but they didn't get on he did not think very highly of the way they were bringing in these young French players, for example, and looking after the players. and So that wasn't great, but that's probably, I mean, if we're moving on to you know Swindon now, that's where Steve Highway kicks in. He rates me. I, I went to the exit trials, which is a thing that people at the time will know. I don't know if they still go. So me and Zach, for example, we went to the exit trials, even though Liverpool hadn't made a decision because Highway was like, well, just get, get up there, get let people see you. So I went there really relaxed, to be honest, because I still didn't know about Liverpool, so it was quite good time. It did really well. Zach did really well. Basically, loads of scouts there, managers even. And um, I remember Ian Dowie being there, actually. I think he was at Oldham at the time. And then um, you, you get a list of clubs who wouldn't need to go on trial. And, uh, you know, I'm, I must have had 10 or 12 clubs, some decent clubs. So that was quite encouraging. And then... They said no, and then I picked a few clubs uh, with Steve in his office. So I went to Bristol City. Uh, I went to Bradford first in the Championship. Stephen Warnock had just been there on loan uh, really successfully. He's an example. Stephen Warnock was absolutely brilliant. So if you look at my route to the first team, you know, I've got Risa maybe playing and Jimmy Traore's around, Gregory Vignall's around. Then you've got Stephen Warnock, who should be playing he's miles better than them not recent but he is he was seriously good and then you've got me so i'm playing in the reserves sometimes sort of sharing it with steve warnock steve warnock's light years ahead of me so you know that's i'm you know i'm 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 a, I'm a realist so that's why i wasn't you know devastated so anyway went to bradford on loan oh horrible never been anywhere but liverpool Weird putting the kit on. Felt really, really weird, like out-of-body experience. Um, played at their stadium, some reserve games. The other the other guys aren't, aren't really nice to you. They're looking at you thinking, well, he's going to come and take my place, potentially, you know, or be there. Did all right. 
did all right. Hated him. Drove over, so drove over to Bradford, 18-19. Then drove straight down to Bristol City. Uh, fine, nice people. Played a few games. Very much in the youth team, though. You know, training with the youth team. I'm, thinking, I'm training with the youth team here. What's, you know, I'm trying to get a... I'm approaching 19. I need to be training with the first team. Whatever. You don't know the level of the scout that's even senior. That's the thing. The first team manager or the reserves manager might think... We don't even need a left back. We've got a great young left back coming through. They had um, who was there? I played with Woodman. Yeah, Craig Woodman still playing. Craig Woodman, yeah, I remember chatting to him. Uh, he played centre back in one of the games I played, and I ch- chatted to him, and he was young, and everyone knew him, and everyone liked him, and he said, "Yeah, I've played f- about you know ten, fifteen times in the first team at left back." So I'm thinking, okay, so you know, and then I went from there. Offered me car into D- and then I went over to um, Luton and spent a bit of time at Luton and did quite well. And oh yeah, we'll give you the call. It was that type of thing. It's not look back and think, do you know what? That's probably the bravest, like the most stressful, bravest thing I've ever done. You know, so going on trial is not great, but just, dr- just thought, right, this is what I need to do. Driving all around the country, you know, Bradford, Bristol, Luton. It's, oh, it's almost the four corners of the country. So I go home anyway, pretty deflated, back into the academy. Nothing to do, not training. This is probably, the season might have even finished. Maybe late May even. But back there, back in to Steve Highway's office, he's chatting to me, saying, oh, what about Bournemouth? He's just pulling teams out the out the air now. What about Bournemouth? Because he had a connection or something. Nice part of the world. I was like, oh, right, okay, don't know. Anyway, so I remember... This, leaving his office, going into the little computer room at, at Liverpool on my own, and my phone starts ringing. So I answer the phone, and, and this this voice starts jibber jabbering away. And I'm thinking, Who, who's this? And, and he's going, Andy, Andy, yeah, you're right. Like, what are you doing? Where are you? I'm at Liverpool. Yeah. Oh, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. And he's going, I'm a manager of a football club. That's what he said. I'm a manager of a football club. So I'm thinking, well, who? You know what I mean? Jesus Christ. And I've, I've got no interest. I've started like applications at university. Uh, quite happy with that. I'm all right. I'm not, you know, I'm fine. Speaking to people. My dad was speaking. My brother was at Durham University. My, my dad was speaking to the head of sports there because uh, when I was at Liverpool, uh, I mean, I went to a really, really good school, really academic school. So when I was at the pool, my dad said, mm, okay, he w- will allow him to do a YTS, a scholarship. Like, that wasn't a given. Yeah, okay, we'll let him do it. I remember the meeting. But he's not going to do the BTEC with the other boy- lads. He's going to go back to his school and do A-levels. So so I'm in the new team doing in A-levels as well, doing maths A-levels in my spare time absolutely you know just the workload was incredible so anyway done all that Durham University the head of the sports has said you know what basically this this is what my dad's told me anyway he said we'll we'll have him he's got two A levels that's all but we'll have him exceptional circumstances we'll get him in on some type of scholarship so I'm quite happy with that I've been up to university a couple of times to see my brother that looks brilliant that looks fun yeah sound happy play non-league Get a few quid, sound. So anyway, I'm on the phone. <laughs> I'm the manager of a football club. Yeah, I've just been speaking to Steve Highway. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Speaks very highly of you. Yeah, I'm like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we probably talked about the trials and things. He's probably picked up on me being a bit deflated, to be honest, and a bit blasé and not, you know. Anyway, he says Swindon Town. Have you heard of us? I'm thinking, yeah, of course. I've heard of Swindon Town. You know, being in the Premier League and that type of thing. He starts talking, saying, "How tall are you?" So I'm, like, I'm six foot three. You're left-footed, yeah, and you've got a long throw, yeah. So he's like, "Yeah, that's it. Sounds good. I like that." Yeah, Steve, Steve speaks really highly of you. Okay, so then he start, then he says, um, "Have you got an agent?" I said, "Well, yeah, I'm speaking to an agent. Yeah, I've got an agent. Yeah." And he said, um, "Come down, come down pre-season. Come down, train with us. See if you like it. Things like that." So I'm thinking. Right, this is another trial, obviously, yeah, alarm bell. So I can't remember what was said, but during that conversation, I remember him saying, do you know what, I'm going to sign you. So I'm thinking on the, on the phone, I'm thinking, okay, I've gone from going on trial to he's going to sign me. No mention of any wages or anything. So he just, you know, he said, right, I'm going to sign you. What are you doing? I was like, well, nothing. Does your dad take you to the game? Yeah, yeah, yeah come down with your dad next week, like in a few days, come down with your dad. So I'm like, okay, sad. And then I go home and from absolutely nothing, obviously Steve Highway, as I think, to be honest, Kingy has spoken to a number of clubs and said, have you got any good kids? So Highway's obviously had that conversation with me about Bristol, Bradford, Luton. And then he's thought, well, Andy King has already been in touch, whatever. So he's rang him and, you know, knowing how I was without a club, he's obviously given it the big, big licks as well and said, take this lad, take this lad, you know, trust me. And then a phone call with Kingy and then it turned into, I'm going to sign you. But obviously that's just a phone call, you know. At the time I believed him uh, and I did. But looking back now, if some, if a young lad said that to me, I'd say, well, you know, hold your horses, wait until you, you get down there. And then the, I went down, so I went down with my dad and met him and Crozer, um, you know, obviously just surreal. I had to, I had to look at look Swindon up on a map. It really I had no idea where it was. I knew it wasn't in the northwest. I knew it wasn't in the northeast. But apart from that, it, it could have been, you know, by Norwich. I really didn't know where it was. So my dad drove me down. And like, yeah, and like I said, that's that's when we drove away, um, when John John Ritson rang me with the with the Michael Owens Britons. But... Yeah, good first meeting. I remember my dad kept ch- kept uh, ch- chipping into the conversation. He, so he's in the room with me, no agents. And I remember him saying things like, is there a win bonus? And, you know, is there a player appearances? And I'm thinking, Dad, just be quiet. <laughs> I remember him saying, is there win bonuses? And I'm thinking, and then he went, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just like there's win bonuses for the whole squad. You know, that's not a personal thing. That's all agreed and signed. And don't worry about that. And I, I remember thinking to myself, where am I going to live? You know, because I wasn't in it. I, was, I wasn't a pro at Liverpool and I went to Swindon and I was actually earning less than I was earning at Liverpool. So you're talking, you know, absolute, you know, real, sort of the, the money you would get as a 19-year-old working in a shop or something. But again, it was probably the first sign of King, you know, being the way he was. Is he said, bring your dad rather than bring your agent. And then during that meeting, he basically said, oh, I'll get you some digs. I lived with, um, he was the bar manager at the time, Chris. 
Oldcroft or something like that, but Chris, can't remember, I can't believe, I can't remember his name, but really nice guy, worked at the club, obviously Kingy could speak to him, he got a few quid because I was lodging with him, let's say, uh, I had an adult there who could cook me meals and things, uh, and it was nice and cheap, so yeah, so that was a, that was a great start, yeah, I mean, the only thing, yeah, actually, I'm just, it's all coming back to me now, sorry, I'm spending a lot of time on the first, you know, the first point of Swindon, but the, um, because I'd been to Luton, I remember a phone call of my agent, basically. Kingy had spoken to Luton, and I'd been there, and they'd said to him, he's miles off the first team, basically. Because um, it was uh, Big Mick, wasn't it, and people like that. And then Kingy, for whatever reason, I don't know, he still signed me. What he did was through me agent, maybe this was just him saving a bit of money, uh, he agreed, and then he said, what I'll do is, because I've sort of spoke to me mate, and they've said, mm, I'm not sure, he said, I'll drop your money to a, to a low starter, but if you make your debut, you'll go back to what we agreed, so I said, yeah, fine, <laughs> fine, so yeah, so even, you know, that was the, he could have easily gone, um, no, because his mates have said no, but he's obviously thought, you know what, I've promised this kid, you know what I mean, I've said it to him, so, you know, he did a few things like that along the time, so, yeah, that was that was how Swindon came about for me, completely out of the blue. Was there any point when you were like, professional football, third tier football on a wage that's lower than what I was getting at Liverpool, or the opportunity to get a top, you know, first class education at Durham University, or was it like, tunnel vision at that point football is there I will take the football no I, there was this, there was discussions yeah and it was more my dad was probably more excited than me to be honest uh, and it was more of um, you can do that later which I have done you know what I mean I've, I've just finished in the last year university degree <clears throat> through the PFA um, you know sponsored as well so you know, it all comes around in timing. So, no, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it, it, there wasn't great um, conversations about it. You know, I was doing it. So, and it was it was exciting. I think our generation forgets how big a name Andy King was in the northwest football scene, and of course Luton as well. But I guess there's an element that maybe your dad was a bit starstruck with Andy yeah. King, also, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, because yeah. he really, he really, what you know, he's he really is a big, big name. You know, for people of a certain age in Liverpool, yeah, Everton especially, obviously. Yeah, that summer, the summer of two thousand and three, is a real transition year for Swindon and Andy King is in overdrive on the transfer market, so he brings in a nice mix of experience. So you've got your Sammy Igos, your Adrian Vivash comes back, and then you've got the young guys that come in yourself, Brian Howard, Reese Evans, all again from similar sort of backgrounds to you. Um, a big club youth teams mm. now they're looking Reese Evans a bit different because he was going back to Swindon and he'd obviously had his Liddershaw experience, but Brian Howard certainly a similar one with Southampton. What do you remember about that first summer and, and trying to fit into what would have been a completely different environment to what you were used to at Liverpool? Yeah, it was very much a different environment, but it, 
you know, I, I enjoyed it straight away. It was fun. My me, me first big mate was um, John Stevenson. So not some, not the type of person I've met before. Not a scouser at all. Uh, slightly, you know, different outlook. But me and him knocked around a little bit because Reese Brian came a bit later. ADV Bass was there straight away. Um, so the new signings, yeah, we were having photos, we were doing interviews. I remember, I remember we were asked to do something and stand in a certain way, and walk here and there. And me and me and John Stevenson were just doing whatever we're told. And I remember Adi Vivas, obviously with his experience, just going, "No, we're not doing that. That's enough. Absolutely no way." So I quite like that. But it was just fun. It was fun just meeting everyone and meeting the squad. And Kingy was excited. And obviously, I had nothing to benchmark anything against. I didn't know who these players were, you know. I didn't know if we were good, if we were good, um, but it was fun. I was in the thick of it, you know. I was in the first team. Um, I, I had every opportunity. I, I saw in front of me, you know. I was away from home for the first time, freedom to, you know, look after yourself and and, and do what you need to do. And I mean, I always, I always trained hard, you know. You know, at Liverpool, that's got me as far. That's how I got as far as I did as well at Liverpool. Um, you know, I was always a good pro and trained really hard and was like, everything was a competition, like I said to you, with the sprinting. So, you know, the, the competition was to be the best in training and then I'd be doing it. You know, whatever the competition was, I'd, I'd do it anyway. But, yeah, it was it was, it was was fun and exciting, you know, getting your squad number and and doing interviews and doing open days and having friendlies and meeting meeting the fans and signing autographs and all that. I thought it was brilliant. No pressure, no no nothing. We had some really good pre-season games uh, that year as well. I'm not sure, I get mixed up with the years, but we might have played like Portsmouth or something or Wolves or... Yeah, Wolves and, you know, there's some big names on that team and stuff. So playing at the county ground, proper stadium. So, yeah, it was really exciting. Yeah. John, John Stevenson was a shame because he came to Swindon with quite a lot of good noise, positive noise coming from especially Leicester fans and he was he had made it into the Leicester team but it's kind of like the right club at the wrong time for John really because of Sam and Tommy, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. He, he was yeah, he was powerful, he had good feet, he could score. Um yeah. I mean, how, how, he, he, he had done a bit. He certainly didn't see himself in the same bracket as me, for example. Um, like I was having, I was in digs, wasn't I? You know, he, he was getting paid a bit more. Uh, he was looking for flats. He, you know, I remember us like going round with him a little bit. So he probably expected a little bit more. So potentially didn't impress as much because he thought he should be playing. If you know what I mean, I didn't think I should be playing, so I was just, you know, not thinking about I should be playing. I was just literally just, you know, doing my best all the time, and obviously that led to impress people. But now maybe just he didn't, he didn't impress enough. Yeah. Well, the season starts in really quite sort of tough circumstances because obviously on game one, when you're not in the squad, you would have been in the ground sure for which was the Sheffield Wednesday game where the news comes in that some of your teammates, former colleague Jimmy Davis, had died. And and then we fell behind really, really early and then we came back. Yeah, I, I mean, I obviously didn't know him, but 
<clears throat> these guys who I'm just starting to get to know. I remember like obviously Super Sammy and and Robbo and Good Dice really affected and I, I'm you know it, it affected me and I remember the situation and the feeling around the place it was very very bizarre. And then yeah, the game was it was absolutely baking hot. I was up in the stands watching it, quite enjoying it. Again, no pressure. I'm in the stand. Okay, fine. It gives me a nice little taste of, of match day, you know, without being flung into it. Um, but I remember us playing well, and, and Sheffield Wednesday were a big, big club. And they, you know, they, I think they'd just come down. They still had some players who were getting paid a fortune for that level, some quite big names. So I remember thinking, we're, you know, we're decent, we're, we're a proper team. several of your colleagues and you know he, he wasn't a tactician or anything like that but in in the sense of bringing you in integrating you into senior football was the plan always to sort of start you out of the squad and then bring you in gently because he kind of used you for the cups you were on the bench for the Leeds United game and then you eventually mm-hmm. made your debut in the uh, loss at Boston in the what is now the um, well, it's the Football League trophy, isn't it? So, was his plan to bring you in gently, or was it a case of at this moment in time I've got David Duke, or what? What was what was your sort of uh, what was the plan of action for you at that early stage? I think it was exactly that. I mean, he, this is like typical Andy King. He, he, he told you, you know, he just he, he blurt out what it, what he was thinking. So, I remember him saying, you know, I've got me players, I've got me team, basically, but I'm going to get a few guys like you, young, hungry. Good back, good pedigree, decent background, who can impress and push people and and you know develop and be used. And he said it to you, and I thought, you know what, great, yeah, that suits me. I'm not, I haven't been around first in football type of thing. He he didn't he didn't talk to me once the season started in a way like you do. I don't remember him ever saying you're you're, you're doing really well. You're impressing in the resis. Uh, you know, Crosser thinks you you're capable of playing. A few of the players spoke like that. I remember ADV Vash, he was talking about people who helped young players. Wow. He was, it doesn't surprise me that he, I don't know what he's doing now, but, you know, last time, you know, a few years ago, he, he was really senior at Chelsea, wasn't he, within the youth team? He didn't say much. He wasn't playing or having great success himself. He wasn't getting on with Andy King, for example. Well, and he would spend a lot of time talking to us. I remember him saying to me, might have been one of the last preseason games, when Brian Howard turned up as well. We played behind closed doors, friendly. And I played, and Brian played, and there was some really good stuff. And I remember bombing on, making loads of runs, one-twos, laying it off. And I remember him saying to me something like, because um, it was all of our all the young lads playing it, he said something like, some of these lads are going to have to wait for their time and and develop, but he said, "But you don't need to. You're ready. You can. You should be playing now." And I remember thinking, "Wow," because obviously I respected him, you know, because of his age and things like that. But that's obviously the type of thing, you know. That's what's made, you know. It's not. It's not easy becoming, you know, being high, really high up at Chelsea, for example, or whatever he's doing now in youth football. But he's obviously he just had that in him because he wasn't captain. Uh, he wasn't, you know, 
tearing it up at first team, for example. But it, there was numerous times when he said those types of things to me. Uh, occasionally, I'd hear him saying things to other players, but he wouldn't do it in public. That was the beauty of it. That was why it was powerful. It was just he'd just say it to you. Maybe he noticed. He, he maybe he noticed in me that I wasn't the cocky person who thought they should be playing, for example, and that maybe I'd you know need that little word. But yeah. There was Reevesy. Reevesy would do things like that as well. I remember Reevesy saying a few things. Did a couple of articles in the paper for no reason, just saying I think Nico's going to. He said something about me making a fantastic centre back in the future. Blah blah blah. And from that, they're the things that carry so much weight for me personally. Don't know about other lads. Some other lads might think, don't need you to tell me that. But for me, I remember those things. Yeah, vividly. What were your highlights from the two thousand three four season? It was just getting it was getting into the team and, and making my debut, and then Gurney. I think Gurney was suspended, so I remember going into a going into a meeting with with uh, Kingy and Reevesy. So I think we were playing uh, three at the back. So basically, it, the, the conversation was: you're going to play alongside Reevesy. Don't worry, he'll tell you where to go, where to be, you know, and coach you through the game. And I got a feeling that, yeah, Kingy's maybe thought, mm, can Nico play? And Reeves, he's backed me up there and basically said, no, 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 I'll look after him. Um, so, and, and I remember playing and, and doing well. You know, I didn't ever get too high or too low, you know, in, in my career. But I remember playing, doing well. We were winning games. I remember fan, you know, a couple of fans saying to me, like bumping into them in the shops or whatever, saying, it was a pleasure watching you yesterday. And I remember thinking, Ooh, okay, and just the momentum of of the team and the, t- the I mean the team was fantastic. Out of you know it was a, obviously the longest time ago the season that I've been involved in. I've got more memories from that season, not necessarily specific games and goals and things, but the team was just it was just fantastic. It was the best team I've ever been involved in. Like obviously Tommy and. And, Sa- and Sam's goals, Sammy Igo and Brian Howard came into team. Me and Brian on the left, I remember, I remember having a fantastic partnership with him. He was, you know, the, the the beauty for me was I could give him the ball and because of his quality on the ball, he'd keep it. So therefore, I could bomb on and run past him because I knew that that was my game, basically run past the, the, the opposition. I mean, we, used to, we used to talk to each other before the game and say, we're going to terrorise this right back and this right winger, you know, just in energy and things like that. So, and he had Migs in there, didn't you? And, and Matty Hewlett and things, and Big Matty at the back. Sean O'Hanlon joined, didn't he? Um, another fantastic player. So it was just really, really positive. Positive. Um, not thinking about it too much, just enjoying it. Do you remember your first goal there? My first goal was at Stockport. It was. Yeah. yeah. I do remember it, because I think we ended up... I think we were 3-0 up after about 20 minutes or something like that. Um, yeah, I do remember talking about bombing on. I remember Tommy had the ball on the right wing. So the ball's gone up to Tommy. He's, he's ended up out wide, I think, on the right wing. And I don't know. I mean, talk about you know coaching left-backs. The ball's on the right wing. I should be tucked round next to my centre-back. And I'm up front, basically. And he's shaping to cross it, so I carry on. And he crosses it, and I remember heading it in at the back post from left back so I don't know why I was up there um, 
I shouldn't really have been up there, but yeah, I do remember that. Remember it really well. Yeah, amazing feeling. Obviously, you know, the ground pretty close to my home. I had a lot of mates there and a lot of family there. Yeah, I do. I, I do remember that. Yeah, very special. We talk about Kingy a lot, and we'll continue talking about Kingy in just a moment. But I mean, Malcolm Crosby must have been quite a significant key to the success of that season. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, really, really good guy. Really, really good coach. Um, spent a lot of time with me, Brian. Younger players. I, I had a I had a passion for trying to develop. Us. I remember I remember working on crossing and th- really really specific detail, which is what quite a lot of coaches miss. Rather than just extra training or whatever, it was breaking things down, working on crossing and but very specific. He reminded me a little bit of Steve Highway. Steve Highway would go would work on the real detail in something. Um, so we were doing crossing. So basically we were practicing rather than the ball being in front of you, being for a left winger, slightly diagonally away to the left and then still being able to wrap you. But, you know, just, I, I remember it. And we did a lot of work, but with the young ones, and he had a lot of time for you. Uh, really nice guy. Good, good number two would speak to people, would make you feel good. Yeah, I had more interactions with him than, than Kingy, definitely. Let's get to the playoffs there. <laughs> um, <laughs> you start the first game, don't you? And you play the majority of the game in what can only be described as daylight robbery part one. Yeah, obviously I remember playing huge game, bit nervous, played okay, team played well. <clears throat> Didn't bother me at all. Obviously, you know, I'm just, you know, there trying to do, do my bit and obviously defend first and foremost. And yeah, it's a little bit. I don't remember a little bit of a blur. Maybe it was just a bit much, shall we say? I remember the conversation for the second leg when I wasn't playing. Uh, Grant was playing left back. Um, that was yeah, it hit me a bit hard. But again, I was I was always still, you know, it was for the team. You know what I mean? I wasn't, never really, probably should have had more of, of that ego and things. I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be arguing back with King over his decision, let's say. Um, just be right, okay, well, let's just, what can I do to help us win? You know what I mean? And I, I've, I've always been like that. Um, maybe why managers have kept me around, you know, kept me around at clubs uh, a lot. That If I'm not playing, I'm still, I'll still go and speak to that player, that young player, especially, and, and, and try and get them in good shape, but yeah, uh, Brighton. Wow. So yeah, I was on the obviously on the bench, lashing down, minging ground, not best pitch, rubbish changing rooms, playing well, everything going well. I came on for um, extra time. Um, brilliant. Uh, <laughs> and then it's just like that, you know, just slow motion of of um, there I mean I haven't even watched I haven't watched the game back I haven't even watched the highlights back but I have a memory of seeing Virgo pointing an arm saying something uh, I'm not sure if that's correct um, and then yeah I mean I, mean, I, only, <laughs> I only watched the highlights again um, in the last well since doing this podcast because I, I always vowed that it, it hurt too much at the time as a as a player as a sorry as a fan 
God only knows what what you guys must have felt when that went in, and the fans who were actually at the game. I was watching it from from a, par, a bar in Plymouth, but it was just we were, we were so we we deserved so much to go through on that one, and I just remember when the cross came in, even then it, it felt like it was okay, and then he just got in front of I think it was Mooney maybe, and yeah. Uh, man. <laughs> it, it, it was you came on right you came on for extra time didn't you you came yeah. on for Grant Smith and you must have been well up for it yeah I was I was upset I thought right this is fine yeah I'm on but brilliant and and, um, and we were until that 120th minute it was it felt like cruise control it was all Swindon and we scored during during the extra time, which was amazing, I did a forward roll in a, in a half-empty pub, um, and and it just was smash and grab. Would you have taken a penalty? Um, I'd rather wouldn't have. No. <laughs> <laughs> in all honesty, uh, I would have taken a penalty, but I've been in that situation before uh, uh, since. Sorry, and I thought, well, I'd take a penalty if I was the best person to take a penalty. Let's put it that way. Uh, I did take penalties when I was older because I was probably the best, one of the best. You know what I mean? But looking at that team and the people on the pitch, wasn't for me to be taking penalties there unless it would have got round to it, obviously. But the feeling was just—it's very, it's very blurry for me. There's no—I remember being back in the changing rooms. I don't remember on the pitch. Uh, I just remember being back in the changing rooms, looking around, soaking. Lads sat on the floor and chairman coming in and you know trying to say well you know well done and things like that and just silence to be honest mm. yeah. just huge disappointments of what we'd done that season had been you know obviously huge and the the uh, the team ethic you know and the unity within the team was as good as I've ever well by far the best I've ever been involved in a group of mates who were obviously you know we were talented and we had a good team and it was just but to be honest I mean I was young and naive as well I thought this is what happened you know what I mean I, I thought this is what happens every year we're a good team see you next year that was my outlook on it I I, I, I didn't sort of hold that in me like like you know you you might have done as a fan looking back now you know you might, and, the, and the years that followed you think, oh Jesus Christ, that was what a chance! You know, we were better than them, and Wembley. But I was still, I was positive. I was thinking, okay, well, yeah, there it is. Yeah. Let's go next year. We've we've still got a cracking good team. I think, Let's build on it. I think I was pretty much the same. Like if we if we keep the squad together, then we'll compete. I'm surprised. It was really interesting hearing your take on it because, given what I've heard about you, I think it just shows you how traumatic that conclusion was. Because you're very relaxed in comparison to a lot of the other the footballers that I've talked to, in the sense that that's your first year as a pro, and it ends like that. And yeah, you know, retrospectively, or a couple of days later, you're thinking, well, you know, on to the next season. But at the time, that's all blurry, and it's 
That's because it was traumatic, man. Yeah, <laughs> That's I know. because it was bloody awful. I, I, I know. I blocked it out, probably. <laughs> Did years <laughs> myself. And yeah. then, and then, to be fair to Kingy, he does keep the majority of the squad together. He, I mean, a few players leave, like Adrian and, and, and Bart. But I mean, Tommy Mooney is is the big is the big loss there. But even in the summer, we we had Rory, so it felt it did. It still felt like we could we could still kick on yeah so was it just Tommy really that we lost that that year was it yeah, yeah. and Rory had come uh, halfway through and, and, and really kicked on I know it, we, we were still there and it was the same manager and it was the same group of lads and the same spirit um, but like I mean I can't put my finger on it but it didn't feel the same as that season don't know what it was momentum um, I'm not sure if it was that season but you know, things start. I've come into it, and you know, I didn't know clubs. You know, had money problems like they did, and organisation. You know, off the field problems, and I'm not sure how early it started, but it can. You know, it, it didn't affect me that much, but it, it can. It can really affect people. A lot of people when there's, you know, the the payments and the checks and the or the promises and things like that. Maybe that started to creep in that next season and some of the you know the bigger names, some of the lads who had options to move on to other clubs uh, more than more than I would have done. Maybe that was I, I don't know. Maybe that was like an influence on, on 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 some of their performances or some of their you know some of them moving on. Listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Well, for you, season two, season one is is a brilliant one for you because you leave an elite football club and you find yourself in the third tier. And this is really a crossroads moment for a lot of young footballers because mm. you get your one year contract, and that is all it is. It's a one year contract. You might be you know, playing non-league football, going to university after a year, but you gave it a go. Like, see what happened to John Stevenson. He sort of went down the leagues quite dramatically when when he left. Same, same with people like Ben Martin as well, who was around yeah. the team at that stage. But you get a new contract, but the second season you don't kick on because of injuries, don't you? Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Again, that was another uh, kingy moment with... It was probably about, I don't know, maybe February or something. He pulled me and Brian Howard. Um, and, we, and we sorted out, you know, basically I want to look after you. You're doing really well, fantastic for me. Um, and I signed, I think, a two and a half year contract, which at Swindon at the time was yeah. probably, you know, as long as any anyone had signed. Uh, it was obviously easy for me to sign. I'm, I'm not pushing for you know, for certain things and, 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 you know, extra money and big money and things like that. It was, it was a good contract for both parties. So I felt, again, massively part of it, appreciated and ready to kick on. Might have been a little bit why I was thinking, you know, when, when, when the playoffs happened, I thought, right, okay, I've got time. Let's, let, let, let's build. Um, injuries, yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't one for injuries, but I can't even... I can't even remember what that injury was. I had a knee operation, actually. I had a little bit of cartilage taken out. Um, yeah, which which kept me out for a, 
kept me out for a few months. But I don't know what my appearances were like in the set in the second year. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't quite the same. I think I did. I go out and loan. Yeah, that would have been around it's, about the Chester time. Yeah, wouldn't it? yeah. yeah the, in the, the, the 2005, you went on loan to Chester. You went about 16, only about eight. I think it's eight starts you made, um, and then you you go out on loan. So in in the fans' minds. That's the beginning of the end, really, for a footballer where yeah. they're struggling with fitness, maybe, and then they go out on loan with respectively a side like Chester, which is not, you know, yeah. that, that's for games, not necessarily for progression, and and then you kind of expect at the end of that season, even if you're under contract, to to be moved on, but that wasn't the case. But yeah, that first that second season was just generally frustrating all all the way all across the board, really, because we were mid table, we weren't under threat, mm-hmm. we weren't threatening with. We weren't sort of competing. It was just such a damp squib of, 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 of a season. And Sam was still scoring his goals, obviously. Rory didn't have a great season goals-wise, and he went out on loan as well. It just, for whatever reason, the, the, the mojo was lost yeah. at that night in Brighton. That's how it felt for about a year. Yeah, I forgot about Rory going out on loan, yeah. Because obviously your memory is, you know, he was flying and he was a, he was a star, and we ended up selling him. But yeah, so yeah, there's the likes of me going out on loan. He tried to get me out on loan to a couple of places, um, which I said no to, which never goes down well when you say no, because <laughs> they've kind of they've kind of done the deal and before they tell you. Yeah. Um, and I remember saying no. I remember speaking to. Um, <laughs> I remember speaking to Carlton Palmer. Stockport, um, was it? Yeah, was it Stockport? Was it Mansfield? Was he was he Mansfield? Yeah, Mansfield? Anyway, I remember speaking to him and just thought he was, pff, I didn't really fancy that. But yeah, Chester. Chester came up, uh, spent a bit of time in Liverpool and uh, and went there. It was good. Ian Rush was the manager. I see Ian Rush now, you know, at Liverpool with my work and that that was quite good. He got sacked. So we have a good laugh about that. He got sacked while I was there on loan. <laughs> so we, yeah, do, we have a good laugh about that. Yeah, part of the reason why he got sacked. But yeah, come like, like you said, come come back and um, and then I think there's it's quite rare, really, in my time at Swindon, where I'd say that I was the first choice left back. Like that start of the season, that's my left back happy. Um, Again, didn't bother me. That didn't bother me. I didn't need that, uh, you know. And and to be fair to the managers who did say that type of thing to me, um, I used to sort of, you know, quite openly just say something like, "Well, you know, as long as you're picking the team on merit, type of thing." Like, okay, I'm not your first choice left back, um, or one of two, or whatever there might be. When they put, they brought another left back in. Um, but you know, pick the team on merit, and, I, and I'm gonna basically prove to you that I should be playing. And and it did happen a lot. I was quite proud of that, to be honest, because it's you know it's not easy. It's it's easy to leave, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't want to leave. Never wanted to leave. We're approaching season three now, and how were you in your own digs now at this point? Were you sharing with players, or were you fully settled in in Swindon? No, I, I had a little spell. I had a little spell once. It was sort of made me debut and stuff. Had a bit more money. I moved in with Ian Herring, uh, Spud, and uh, Ben Martin. Probably had about six months with them. That was a nice little halfway house to 
And then uh, when, when I signed my new contract, I bought my own flat. Um, so I was very settled in there, you know, yeah. Uh, mortgage on my flat, no no thought of moving anywhere. Um, enjoying, enjoying life a lot, playing or not playing, going on loan. Didn't really... Didn't get I, I didn't get too bogged down in, in you know in in, in in little bits and bobs that were going on. I just thought I'm, I'm fit and I'm and I'm training and I'll and I'll show them. I was by the outlet village, which you'll probably know because yeah, everyone knows that. So there was there was some new flats by the outlet village and I kept it for years and years. To be honest, I only sold it, only sold the flat maybe three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah kept it for a long time. Well, season three is, as far as appearances are concerned for you, it's one of your, your best seasons. Unfortunately, it coincides with a relegation season. That summer was another big transition year for Swindon because we lost Sam Parkin and then we sort of, it seemed like it took forever for Andy to be able to do his business in the transfer market. And then we suddenly brought in... Um, Tony Thorpe and Jamie Curtin, which was a very exciting bit of news, really, because they had done the business at Bristol City, so we knew all about them. And you see Jamie Curtin's career, he was trying to get back up and running again after an unsuccessful spell at maybe QPR in South Korea. Tony Thorpe was on the on the slide, but he was still a very useful player in our minds. And then Ricky Shakes comes in, and so does Charlie Coyne-Platt and Jack Smith. So that was a good day, but... So something just it just didn't it didn't click did it maybe was it too many players or was it just things weren't going to plan for Kingy anymore? Um, I thought I mean yeah good mix of players there that you mentioned um, yeah Tony Thorpe and and Kuro, both great great players real good professionals um, brilliant in training um, you know they did they did play and they did get a chance. But it just didn't work out, and to be honest, I think Kingy put his eggs, you know, all in one basket a little bit with them financially as well, because I think, I mean, I don't know what season it was, but I remember the budget being cut it was a lot. Was it that year? So I think, I think basically it was a million down to seven hundred thousand, and for everything for all playing budget, I think that's probably. You know your physio, your assistant manager, everything, um, and that takes its toll, especially when you bring in a couple of big names who will have demanded big money because he's trying to replace obviously Sam's goals, uh, and then you've got you know Charlie, who's just a good mate of mine still, and Ricky and people like that, and Jack, um, who were good players, but that sort of yeah, he's put his eggs in one basket really with the, with the strikers and they've not worked and then he's got no wriggle room um, I don't think the squad was relegation I mean I remember when we went we went on a, we went on a decent run to, right near the end we got out of it by a, quite a considerable margin and we were um, you know people could be, you know the younger lads especially getting to a life phone people are like getting offered new new deals and things trying to you know build for the future which is the right thing to do but then you know relegation just you, you, as a manager or as a coaching staff or playing staff you, you just lose all 
you know, so if you're saying, oh, we're building for the future, which is the right thing to do, but then the board or the money people or whoever that might be say, well, you know, how can you? You've just been relegated. So it just, yeah, things unravel, basically. Yeah, it was around February where we got out of it and then yeah. back-to-back losses against uh, Rotherham and then that trip to Nottingham Forest <laughs> started yeah. the, the spiral process. What's it like for a young pro when the manager that signed you, the manager who gave you your first game in professional football leaves? What, what, what's that feeling like? It was weird. It was really weird. There was... There was no Swindon without Andy King for me. And, you know, you'll have heard the stories about the guy and his character. And, the, you know, it, you just, you'd hear him coming down the corridors. He's speaking to everyone. He's such a bubbly character. So it was, I felt bad. I felt really bad that I was part of, you know, because I know how much it meant to him. You know, how much football meant to him, how much Swindon meant to him, his job, everything. He was so passionate about signing plays you've never seen anybody so excited when there was a new player coming in because he'd spotted them or whatever you know he'd he didn't just say i've signed this sign this lad you know i think he's good apparently you know it, might, it was just you know he was just so emotional as a, as a character um and i remember feeling yeah weird upset sad that bloody hell i'm part of this he's and he's you know he, he's had to go and that's and that's going through some people are probably absolutely made up. To be honest, half half the players and squad, maybe even more than half, probably absolutely made up. I never felt like that. Even though he hadn't played me, he'd left me out, whatever. You know, he'd sent me out on loan. He'd said to me when I went on loan, he said, if you want to sign for Chester, you can. <laughs> Chester offered me a deal. I said, no, I'm coming on loan. Um, so, yeah, very, very, very strange uh, and sad, yeah, because... You're reminiscing about basically about the playoffs and things like that, and you're thinking, "Wow, we could have what's happened." You know, it's quite a quite an emotional time. To be honest, that was the first time, obviously, it happened to me. Late later on in my, you know, in my career, what it happened at different occasions. But for example, I mean, I'm at Chester, and Rush gets sacked. Yeah. You know, that, that means absolutely nothing to me. Just got no, you know, no connection really to the guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, no emotional attachment, but it's the unknown as well. It's, you know, scary because you don't know who's coming in. But it was iffy. It was iffy, yeah. Laura. Uh, so it was from within. And it, it felt, even though it was so early in the season, it just, it felt like, maybe it's a pessimistic, pessimistic football fan, but it did feel like we were in for a long season even then. But if he did a good job, I felt, but... It, the damage was done internally for whatever reason I don't know but it, it, we just weren't clicking yeah I mean if you look talking about budgets I get I mean if he is great uh, uh, you know if he was great is great I've met him a few times he's doing, the stuff he's doing with the PFA and everything really really good coach really intelligent bloke really lovely fella nice environment again he's just a sensible person who you can speak to not a ranter and a raver but it's financial issues again, isn't it? And, you know, that's I think that's the season when we started, you know, we got a lot of loans in, didn't we? Neil McDermott and Colin Heath and Tom Heaton obviously came in as well. And again, I mean, these are good players, decent players, but the, maybe the squad went a bit too young, basically. 
you know, good players, but they're the ones who need the ADD bash to be speaking to them and helping them. And those experienced senior players were dwindling. They were, and, and they weren't there. Or if they were there, maybe they weren't happy as well. Did you ever? Did you ever talk to Kingy again after Swindon? No, I bumped into him. Uh, I can't even remember why, why. Why was I swinging? I bumped into him and I just remember him. Ah, oh, here he is, a Scouser. He absolutely loved Scousers. Oh, you know, just straight into it, like big loud in front of people. But it was a, not a not a proper meet up. But no, I mean, I got on with him really well. He, you know, he, he he didn't like some people. He liked me. He didn't like some people. He liked characters. He liked hard hard guys let's say you know what I mean I used to play cards with them so if there was ever people talk about like a bit of a click you know I, I, I'd, be, I'd be mates with them with them and playing cards with Big Matty and Reevesy and Gaines uh, Grant used to play that type of thing so I got on really well with him but I wouldn't ring him up he was but, but I was you know I was still quite young you know what I mean he'd look, you know look, sort of looked up to him in a way obviously and I never, I never rang him or anything like that. Um, so no, no, no contacts, which might have been easier to be honest if I'd had contact. Whereas I've just got this image of this little area, a little period of my of my life, which was so good, and him being such a part of it that, like, when he passed away, it was emotional, really emotional for me. Um, I couldn't go to the funeral either because I was away on my honeymoon. So you know, it, it, it upset me, yeah. And then another era started, and it was Dennis Wise and, and Gus Poyer um, in 2006. So if he, it, it, for a long time, it felt like if he was going to get at least the start of the season, but it didn't happen, and very quickly Dennis Wise was installed. Again, a massive name from our childhoods, um, yeah. Dennis Wise. So what do you, and Gus Poyer, I mean, crikey. And what, what do you remember from that? Well, that was, that was like, start again that was like poof, absolutely full of enthusiasm ultra professional when I heard it was Dennis Wise I was right on the brink of signing a contract uh, which was all agreed and I remember Wise he said something like I think Jenks Jenks was similar and I remember him saying oh I'm not signing him <laughs> you know maybe he was a bit old you know he was obviously older than me but and then he said something like, um, yeah, Andy Nicholas can stay though because it's a bit far down the line. So I was thinking, oh God, <laughs> okay, but I am staying. You know, I've agreed this new deal. Um, and I had, I had an impression that people would, that, oh God, he's going to be, I just I basically I thought, oh, he's probably going to be a nightmare, to be honest. And he was absolutely brilliant, yeah, and Gus. So down to earth, so approachable. Um, the professionalism of training just went through the roof ahead of his time. Pre-season was absolutely massive. Got us in really early, so I'm thinking this is going to be a nightmare. You normally you start on the 1st of July, let's say, something like that. Got us in on about the 26th of <clears throat> June. For a testing day and we all had different slots to turn up so I'm thinking oh my god what are we doing and basically he'd uh, he painted out a 500 metre track 
which you had to do two laps of at the training ground. So it was 1,000 metres, 1,000 metres as fast as you can, once. And then you had to go up to the rowing machines, where they'd come from, I don't know. We didn't have any rowing machines. They were out at the training ground on the grass. And you had to do 2,000 metres as fast as you can. So it's, I mean, probably some other, you know, some other lads will tell the same story. So you go, and you've, you've never run 1,000 metres like this before. So you go off like the clappers, uh, and I was, but I was a strong runner, and it's a competition for me. So I'm, I'm not just jogging round. I'm absolutely killing myself. Second lap, you are hyperventilating. Your legs are like jelly. You've hit the brick wall so slow across the line. So I was oh, a bit disappointed with that. But you've got nothing to judge it on. You're on your own. It's like a one-on-one session, and then go up there. Nearly, nearly threw up on the row machine, collapsed at the end. So anyway, he, what he did was he collated all the scores, put you into the groups, the fastest four, and you all had individual targets. So it's just this level of detail. I think I was in the second fastest group of about four for the 1,000 metres. So obviously then it dawns on me, what are you doing? Just run an average r- run and then improve. So you've killed yourself with the best you've ever done. Anyway, so it was it was an Italian. It was it was a it was a Viali preseason, and we just did we did that for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I will tell you what, the, the genius of the guy was. We bought it, and we were doing um, sit ups like you've never known. Everyone everyone had a six pack after about six weeks, and it just worked on that so much. There was no possession and. And we worked on a lot of tactics and worked on some very specific things. And as you know, you know the way we started the season, there's no coincidence. And a trip, well, Copper Ibiza champions as well. Oh, yeah, he didn't like that. Why is he? he tried to change that. He didn't want to go there. That was obviously organised before or by somebody else. Um, that, was, that was surreal. That was absolutely surreal. We were training in the baking heat. We weren't doing the thousand meters, thankfully. We were doing loads of ladders and loads of sorts of short, sharper stuff. Uh, we played two games. One was against Huddersfield. The other one was against Ibiza, like the barman. It was basically <laughs> all, all the barman from the local bar. I think it was Ibiza Town or something. But Ibiza the, eleven. It was just the copyright. It was just an Ibiza eleven. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was literally the barman from the local bars <laughs> on a, on an astroturf, which wasn't that good. Huddersfield was decent. I think they had uh, Andy Booth up front and another name I can't remember. I remember playing centre-back with Gus in one of those games, which was brilliant. He was class. He joined in. Dennis Wise did all the pre-season I was talking about. Won by a mile. Um, Super, super fit. He was just into it. So Swindon's hopes of maybe getting another might be quite high. This is Miglia Ranzi. In towards Fallon here. It's Fallon! It's 2-1! Swindon that's a great finish. Great finish from Fallon. Pulling it onto his right foot and getting away. But it's made by that man, Miguel Ramsey. You start the season and you play in that crazy... It's only... I mean, anyone that doesn't know sees Hartley Paul Neal Swindon Town 1 on the opening day of the season and, and thinks nothing of it. But the fact that we came out of that and won, uh, Peter Brezovan saves two penalties an absolutely insane start to to a season wasn't it it was I mean... yeah there was a, a few significant things what 
what what wisely had done, which we'd never done before, was we you do shape with the managers and you're playing against the youth team and things, but we worked on um, getting the ball back off the opposition from throw-ins for days and days and days and days. We worked on set pieces over and over again, like you've never done before and like I have never done since. And what happened was we scored from a rehearsed corner where we ran to the front and blocked and peaks came round and headed it. So that is our is our goal, but it made the team, it made everyone buy into what he was doing as well. So that was significant. I'd say that's everyone saying, do you know why he's tactically, yeah, this is brilliant, clever guy. And the other one, I remember when Brez turned up, we had a few goalies on trial, I think. And I remember him saying, you know, coming over to few of us, Dennis Wise saying, oh my God, wait till you see what we've got down there. <laughs> Basically, we're looking down at this huge big hunk with the goalie coat. And he was going, wait till you see him. And he was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, barely a word of English when he first came, but he was this absolutely brilliant goalkeeper. For the for the wise tenure, you sort of lose your place in the in the tail end of it, don't you? I mean, I remember there was a string of one ones, but you're on the bench for all those, and it's not until Ad Williams comes into the into the job as a caretaker that you come back into the team. What were your feelings when, when Wise and Poye bailed? Fair enough, Leeds United are a massive team. It was bloody annoying mm. at the time, and who knows where we would have gone again. Luggy did the job, finished the job off, brilliant. But again, it's one of those crossroads moments for Swindon that, you know, if he would have stayed for the season or stayed for two, you, you don't know what would have happened, do you? Yeah, really, that was gutting. What you know, what he'd built up, like the, the professionalism and, and and the way he was with all the players. So, for example, yeah, I played a few games and we won. Well, we won the first six games of the season, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and if I, you know, if I was in or I was out, he'd pull you in. He'd treat you like a, he'd treat you like the captain. He'd speak to you at great length and just explain we're a team, we're a squad, and we're better than every other squad. So you play, and then you might not play. You know, he really. Everyone was in on it. If he said to me, you're best on the bench this week because of X, Y, and Z, I'd be like, brilliant, happy, the team's winning. Another thing, which I don't know if anyone, I don't know if anyone has mentioned to you, was another reason why the spirits were so high in that year. We had, so we had a, you had your win bonuses, which was for every player. And the way it worked was, it was, uh, top three was 150 quid a point then the playoffs was uh, 100 let's say and then mid table to the playoffs was 75 pound a point so that so that was that was it so as a team, as a group of players we had a meeting and we were like basically we thought you know what we've but we're buying this we're looking around. We've got some great new players, Christian Roberts and Peaks and everything. So we we've said, I think we're going to do well here. Uh, AD, AD, it was AD a lot as well, to be honest. I think we're going to be at the top. So we we went back to the club and said, well, you know that's seventy five pound a point at the bottom. Can we take that away and put it on the top? So if we're in the top half, tenth, and we win, we don't get any win bonus. But if we're in the top three, we get 
225 pounds a point instead of 150. So the club agreed to that. So basically, every time we won, if you played or you're on the bench, so if you're a kid who's earning 300 quid, 400 quid, which there was, your win bonus was 675 quid. And we won the first six games of the season. So I know it's, you know, players say it's not about money, but when you're in League Two and your win bonus is £675 every time you win, it was it just created a buzz, yeah. I think I think that was, I might be wrong, but that was potentially when Mark Devlin left the club. <laughs> <laughs> because, and I'm telling you, probably maybe I'm wrong to, to say this, you know, but... It wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if that had a major part of it. People were paying out, <laughs> paying out ten grand every time we won a game to the players. That's maybe why Paul Ince signed. <laughs> yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, I love, I love that. Yeah, Paul. I remember obviously playing with him. His last ever game was Wrexham, which I think was the probably the one. Was that the one at the end of our run as well, maybe, at the start of the season? He played against MK Dons, didn't he? Because he got the penalty. And then, I think I think MK Dons might have been the last one. Uh, I remember I remember, well. I remember playing with him. Yeah. I often say to people, especially if you, I say, Wait, what was the last team he played for? Yeah, where, where did he finish? So, yeah, that was great. What a, what a, he was a good guy. He was, base, he was wise his mate. That's all it was. Yeah, I, I kind of thought he might have had a... He might have had one eye on potentially. Like Dennis Wise says, you know what? Bates comes in for me at Leeds. Then yeah. this could be this could be a job for you, especially as he went pretty much straight to Macclesfield at that at that yeah. moment and and took them over. But it it wasn't to be. Um, after Ad Williams has a chance, he brings in Barry Hunter, but it doesn't work out for him. Paul Sturrock comes in, who's a been there, done that manager, isn't he? So what 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 are your memories of Paul Sturrock? Well, I mean. Why is he's left? We're on a high, and we're thinking, oh. and then uh, I can't remember who was met. Anyway, when Paul Sturrock was mentioned, obviously he's, he, uh, you know, as a group of players, we've thought brilliant. You know, spoke he spoke to people who've worked with him and things, or people who knew players who played with him, and it was just like gets the job done. You know, promotions on his CV. So we're we're really really looking forward to it. Yeah, made up. Obviously played against him um, a few times for Swindon things. Yeah, this is how we're going to play. Different, very different uh, to Wisey, but a real clear vision of what he wanted, and he held you to account. And and it was like, yeah, we're gonna you know we're go- we're gonna continue this and we're gonna do well. Uh, brought in a lot of players. Uh, he liked to bring in players he knew, didn't he? You know, players from his old clubs and things. But brought in a lot of good players, and um, we, you know, we were confident that we'd we'd continue it. He just, he, he was a funny guy. He, he was a, you know, old school, and he, when the way he used to name his his team, tap he used to tap his foot on the floor and name the team, and then he'd spend his time taking bets, wouldn't he? Yeah, you probably heard walking around. Walking around with his little book, taking taking bets, and it's probably a little superstition just about getting people thinking about if they were going to score or not in the game. What was, yeah. the, what was the tapping of the of the feet when he was announcing the squad? Always just did it exactly the same. He'd just be staring at the floor, and he'd tap the goalkeeper, Brez, and then he'd maybe start at left back, and he'd tap the floor, and he'd go, 
Big Nico. And then he'd tap it and be like, I can't, I can't remember who was there at that. And he'd just tap, staring at the floor, tapping his foot into the positions of the 4-4-2 and naming the player as he tapped his foot on the floor. Yeah. It was good. I mean, we, Summers came, comes in. It was big, obviously. It's a, it was a full change. John Blackley? Was it John Blackley? Yeah, he's the defensive coach. It is a full change. You're, you're yeah. completely right. And I don't really... I've spoken to a fair few players from this era and I don't really sort of acknowledge the fact that it's almost... Well, not quite, but it did feel like two different sides because you had sort of Curtis Western at the start. Yeah. You had Andy Monkhouse in the first half of the season as well. And then there are a few that, as soon as Wise goes, photo on a bougier, they just they disappear. And then, and then, as you rightly point out, and it's kind of, I think, r- retrospectively, I think it's detrimental when a manager brings in their disciples, for want of a better phrase, because if manager leaves, then we're left with a selection of players that came here exclusively for yeah. for Paul Sturrock. But but it was like two different sides and two different brands of football as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was definitely. And that's not easy to do. So if you know if if, if Paul Sturrock wasn't you know as, as as skilled as he was, then that might have been too much of a change for the atmosphere and things and bringing players in. But the atmosphere stayed really positive. He was incredibly different, and actually to continue a successful season, sort of it wasn't even midway and like through like that is takes a takes a lot of skill, but. You know, he's been there and done it, so he, obviously he has to stick to what he knows and these players that he, he, he thinks he can trust. But yeah, there's certain players that he didn't fancy, didn't fancy uh, Monkey and Andy Monkhouse at all. Yeah, there were certain players he didn't like, he didn't fancy, and he brought, he brought the, you know, his own guys in. But I remember being, you know, it was, it was, it was, we had a really good team. He, he liked Christian. Christian Roberts as well, and we, we we just had it. We had enough. We we had enough good players for that league. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think uh, Barry Core is the Rory Fallon that year, isn't he? Because he comes in there to the yeah. end and just helps get gets over. Like his goals wasn't a specialty in that season. You know, Peacock and and Roberts get about ten each, so they kind of scrape through. I always remember, and <laughs> I'm convinced it was you. After the Bristol Rovers game where we lost away 1-0, I'm walking back down because you know, my wife's from Bristol so I was probably walking down the Gloucester Road to go back into the centre or whatever and um, a car pulls out of the memorial ground. Got loads of people in but I swear you were in the car that day. <laughs> Zooming off. 100%. I was in a car driving away. Yeah. <laughs> Were you with mates or something? I always, I always, I always, got, I always got knocked over by. Oh well, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely was me. I was with a group of mates who uh, live in Somerset, and I was going down there to see them. Yeah, and I do remember that. I remember coming out in the car, um, you know, with fans around as well, yeah. and think, you know, sort of. Not that I was doing anything wrong, but yeah, keeping my head down. But yeah, isn't that funny? It, that, what, that that definitely was me. Yeah, you almost bloody killed me. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, you didn't. Well, you weren't. I, you at least I wasn't driving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah. No, that's funny. That's twelve years of me saying. I'm pretty yeah. sure I saw Andy Nicholas in in, in the back yeah. of a car, tiny little car. It was as well. Um, we did go over the line. It, it was that that Bristol Rovers game will always 
be remembered in mind one because Ricky Lambert scores that bloody great goal and mm. and there was a there was a phantom goal elsewhere which which result in Swindon fans celebrating wildly but it turned out not to be the case and I'll, I'll never forget that's the first time left that ground thinking that we'd uh, drawn because we were celebrating like something had happened yeah. but it probably threw you guys all over the place but but the Walsall game the final game of the season just was a lovely occasion Walsall equalised at the end and that means they're the champions but we don't care because Gerald scored that wonderful header and thankfully it was one season only in League 2 at that moment yeah, it's, I've got yeah strong memories of, of Walsall. It was it was a lovely day. It was packed at the county ground. Um, yeah, that the the feeling. I remember, um, you know, the, the feeling of of getting across the line, all the fans running on and everything, and absolutely brilliant highlight. And yeah, I mean, it was for me personally. I don't know about you. It, it was definitely worth going down to have that promotion and come back up because you're just on such a positive, you know, trajectory from there from that point. And it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah, it did, brilliant. It, it did feel good. It did yeah. feel good. Um, you know, it'd be nice to have a bit of that now this season and then build on it. But it. You, you are right. It was a nice occasion. It was a nice day, and it went it went our way, and we didn't have to go through the playoffs as well, which was something I think we, most of us were dreading. But it was a good occasion, and then that takes us to your final summer with Swindon. So, I mean, that's that's your probably one of your strongest seasons as far as appearances are concerned. So, when it comes to the end of the season, all is well. Um, yeah, this is yeah. I remember I remember meeting with. Um... Paul Sturrock, who um, really liked me at the start, and then, like I said before, yeah, slightly went off me. But I did make a lot of appearances, and I don't, went in for a meeting with him. We'd been promoted or whatever, and I remember, I remember him saying, "Listen, son, I, uh, I am going to offer you a deal. Um, you're not exactly what I want. Yeah, not exactly what I want." I want something a little bit different, a little bit better. But you've you've been you were brilliant for me there towards the end of the season. You know what I mean? Because I played in quite a few big games when we done well and defended my heart out and that type of thing. So, but he wanted to tell me. He wanted to say, "Look, I'm going to keep you, but I'm going to get someone else probably as well." Because you're not quite ideally what I want in my left back, but I'm going to give you another year. And me, like I was at the time, obviously, some I didn't even tell me agent. I didn't say, he doesn't really want me, so get me away. I was like, brilliant. Get to stay at Swindon for another year. Fantastic. And then, I mean, it's the last season, you do just, it, 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 it's exactly what Paul says, really, isn't it? It's just, is there injuries in there as well, or is, is it just that you're out of favour? Yeah, I, I think maybe it was that season, but I had another cracking injury in my heel. Yeah, I think it might have been that pre-season. Um, I had like a crack in my heel and some like fluid in there and things that got drained. I was out for a number of months. If it was that season, I was injured. Uh, Aidy Williams was injured at the same time. Uh, Jamie Vincent, maybe. I remember spending a lot of time with them injured, like a good three months. Probably was that season, to be honest. And then, but I mean, I, I get fit and I get back and I, and, and I play. A few get a few games, which is always the case. You know, I always end up 
I always end up getting in somewhere and 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 you know and putting some good performances in. And then again, it's deja vu that like like when Wisey left, um, you know he, he he's not you know the, when the manager's not sacked and they and they leave, yeah, it's a strange feeling. Yeah, this time we have there's a prolonged spell with Budgie as the caretaker, isn't there? Yeah. During that time, what what were your memories of Budgie? When he was the manager, do you know what? Not much, not much of him as manager. As a guy, he was good. He was fun. I mean, yeah, he was just a he was a big big character. Yeah, he was one of uh, one of Sturrock's mates and. And he got on really well with the youth team, and and we, we had a strong youth team, and quite. I mean, the, the players from who came through Swindon over my years, who went on to have careers, um, is frightening for a League One, League Two team. You know, it's, there's a there's six, seven, eight, isn't it? Lads who got on. Never mind, like sort of Lucas and or yeah, Ben Tozer got went up to Newcastle and things like that, but. And uh, Sean Morrison, Jesus, what you know, what a career! Yeah, I think for um, just those three alone is probably as good as we've had in in, in yeah. many years in, in terms it's of a, development. It's it's as good as what Liverpool are producing. Yeah, it's as good as what Premier League teams at times are producing. So, don't know what it was, but there was something really, you know, something really good about. I don't know if it was recruitment or if it was the coaching, but. Uh, the youth team, Callum Kennedy. Um, yeah, he he was my you know he was my boot he was my uh, boot boy when he when he first started. I used to yeah spend a lot of time with him and was he well behaved? Talk. He was very well behaved. It was <laughs> half it was half a game that he'd be over the top, over the, you know call you sir you know just over the top and he, you know he, he was a, he's a funny guy yeah um, and. You know, unfortunately, I mean, I, I mean, I left before he was sort of playing properly. But again, what a great career! When I first met him, you know, he was a little, little scrawny, scrawny lad, left back, and he turned into had a had a great career. There's another one for this. There's, there's so many yeah. that have that have come on and obviously been grounded really well and had had impressive long careers. Now, this brings us to Morris Malpass, who's your final manager at Swindon, and it's it. Morris Malpass is a funny one, really, for this podcast because I've spoken to a few people that were managed by Morris Malpass, and I don't know if there's some sort of secret alumni code, which means that we can't talk about him that much. But everyone seems to say the same thing. Don't really remember much about Morris Malpass, other than the fact that he once played the Any Given Sunday speech and something from his car. I think Callum Kennedy told me, but yeah, it, it seems. I mean, it's it's interesting that the assumption was that because he was a Dundee United legend that Sturrock brought him in and that was largely denied. Um, he had a good pedigree as a coach. It just wasn't to be. And I think because Swindon fans were aware of other names that were interested in the job, I think that's the time when Ian Holloway is lingering around um, wanting the job as well. And then Morris Malpass comes in and he's not a huge name in this area, he's an absolute yeah. Scotland legend, but but it, it was a very, uh, I think, it, you know, in terms of Swindon appointments, it wasn't the most exciting, and it proved to be not the most exciting tenure as well. Yeah, I don't. 
I'm racking my brain so that I don't repeat what obviously other people have said to you. But if you're talking about like him as a manager stood in front of us saying, like, if I think about Sturrock, yeah, I just know exactly how he wants to play, what he wants to do. And Morris Malpass, there is nothing. I don't can't remember anything. I remember how he made how he made me feel again. Go like not good. Not I don't know. I mean I don't want to don't know the guy. To be honest, I really don't know the guy. But I remember when training we didn't you know we didn't used to do much, which was rare. I think a few of the players was kind of moaning to um, Hasney, you know the captain, saying that we're not doing anything basically. You know, and I remember him saying, "Oh well, you know, look, you know, like be thankful. We're coming out. We're doing a circle with Budgie. We do a circle with Budgie uh, for forty minutes. You know, it's it's just something you do maybe for ten minutes, and stuff, which is great. But, you know, everyone's laughing and joking, and obviously it's a bit of skill too. And then we do that, and then we go and play five a side, and that'd be training. And I remember, you know, Asni sort of saying, "Well, no, look, this because that's the type of training the players want to do because it's just nice and it's easy and it's not boring and it's good." I remember him sort of defending that once. I can't remember the context totally, but yeah, there were obviously a few people thinking, you know, what what are we doing here? I, I don't mem- remember having even, having conversations with him. I mean, I played against um, Walsall away and scored a right foot goal. And I think he was in the stand and he came in and I never played again. And I remember I won, well, maybe, a, you know, bits and bobs, but I never played again, basically. And I'm thinking, how can, how can you come and watch that game? And I played I played well and scored at Walsall. I can't remember the score. Might have been a draw. And was it? Yeah. Um, never played again. And I probably, I never had a conversation with him because I wasn't the type of player to go banging on the door really you've kind of got nothing to you know it's hard to say something because you haven't done anything you haven't played just didn't yeah I mean really yeah bad taste you know after all those years and then probably well I remember I remember going in speaking to him and him saying I'm not going to offer you a deal I remember thinking it's pointless speaking to him but I remember saying something like I remember saying well, like, what are you looking for? And I, and I remember him saying, just a better player. <laughs> I, I thought to myself, no, fuck it, I'm going to say, like, I'm going to not just give him a dead easy ride. I've been there for five years. This guy's come in, never played me. Never had, never had any, you know, the bottle to sort of say anything to me. So I thought no, and and then I think he he definitely said a better left back or a, just what are you you know what are you looking for? And he went just just a better player. And I just thought, sound, I'm not going to kill myself anymore. <laughs> but do, the, do you know the absolute worst bit that really really got me angry was sort of when you know when he goes, does he go that next season? How, how long? Yeah, he goes he, the following season. He, he doesn't finish the year, the calendar year. Yeah. So that really pissed me off. Do you know what I mean? Like I could have been, say I was under a two-year, under a longer contract, for example. So he can't get rid of me. He could have gone. I could have still been there. You know what I mean? And who comes next? Danny Wilson was it? Yeah. 
Yeah, Danny Wilson, obviously, you know, fantastic. Not saying he's, he wants me or whatever, but that really made that I was, you know, when he went, I was angry then. Not, you know, and even when I left, I didn't want Swindon to do badly. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I not necessarily wanted him to do badly. It just angered me that I'd, he'd gone and I'd moved on when I could have still been there because I just wanted to be there, to be honest. You know what I mean? Because it's a big, you know, five years back then was, I was the longest saving player, wasn't I, somehow? I think that's 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 fair and that's really interesting because you speak to a lot of footballers, whether it's for this or just you read it and, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a two-year contract or someone's there for seven years, sometimes an exit, that's it for life. I, I can't, I can't like Swindon ever again and it's, it's you know, it, it does leave that, as you say, that bit of taste and I'm trying to wrap my brain. So that summer... Malpass goes all in on Charlie Mulgrew, but I think he's a centre back, but he might have been a left sided at the time. And we have a bid accepted, and obviously Charlie Mulgrew tells us where to go and ends up having a very successful career in Scotland and playing for yeah. Celtic and Aberdeen and things like that. Um, but your replacement, and people will correct me, I'm sure, I think is Kasali Yinka Casal, who, you know, if he ever if he ever does to this contact me we'll talk but he's largely considered one of our worst signings ever <laughs> so it's even worse. that better player I, was not it was a youtube yeah. signing was older was Casal, and i remember I didn't, watching it yeah. thinking good I, grief i've not heard that name and and yeah I, I, four I, times I, pro- I probably did uh switch up a bit i don't think i did but do you not? Do you look at the squad and look at the look at the lineups and go, ah, this guy, this guy's in no, my place. <laughs> no, no, it was never, never was my place. Don't forget. <laughs> well, I was I mean, part not... of this part of the squad and just part of the club. Yeah. Well, you say that, but you know, one hundred and twenty odd appearances in the league alone, and put that with your cup games, you've got to be one of the higher appearance makers of this side of the century you have to be I think there's probably more appearances you know I remember leaving and there was some appearances then if you look up on Wikipedia there's less appearance but yeah there was there was a, there was there was run, big long runs of games and things yeah, yeah I mean... and I'm only joking but it was, <laughs> I know, just, I, it was just a little thing that the odd man but to be fair I, I went through what five managers yeah so you're lucky to last to the next one you know what I mean so it was it must have been I always think it was I wasn't that versatile really I was left back or I was centre back but I was you know I bought into the new managers I was engaged in training I worked my socks off I was never knocking on for agent more money or anything you know what I mean I just just flew under the radar a little bit and never caused any trouble Always bought into it, yeah, and obviously did me in good stead. But I did. I, I mean, I, I, obviously, I contributed and, and had some really good spells as well. So I don't want to, you know, say I was just part of it. But no, not at all. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a fantastic time. And the the difference between thinking about the historic era, thinking about the Dennis Wise era, <laughs> thinking about the Andy King, my God, it's like three separate things 10 years apart you know it's it's amazing they you know they, this podcast could last for days if you actually started talking about some of the 
some of the, you know even some of the other characters and the stories and things yeah so Swindon's hopes of maybe getting another might be quite high this is Migli Aranzi in towards Fallon here it's Fallon it's 2-1 Swindon on fire that's a great finish great finish from Fallon pulling it onto his right foot and getting away but it's made by that man Migli Aranzi Five seasons in the lower league, especially at somewhere like Swindon, it's almost unheard of. We've got one player who's in their fifth season, but they've only just played just over 50 times because they're a young, the young guy, Nathan Thompson, yeah. was here for a long time, but he came in yeah. from, from the youth team. So to be an outsider, to come in, it's not as rare in the King era because he had people like Duke and Hewlett and Hayward and and and, and they, they played for a long time. But post that, Three, four seasons, if if you're lucky. McGovern, I think, might have played a little bit more. But it, it, it is to grind, and it is a grind, lower league yeah. football, to grind yeah. out a career. It, it's, you know, a lot of players come out of teams like Liverpool and they may have one eye on what could have been, but you knew your limits. You went to a team, you found football, and you made, you made a full career out of it. And... You know, there's a couple of seasons at Rotherham that follow as well, isn't there? So, Rotherham's a great, a great move. I mean, if someone normally yeah, goes to Swindon yeah. and goes to Rotherham, even back in the day, that's that's still a, that's still an all right move. Yeah, big club. Yeah, big fan base. Um, Mark Robbins as the manager, very good manager. Yeah, really good. I remember, I remember he left. He, he sort of dropped out the game a little bit um, a few years ago, but he's he's come back managing some teams now but really good really intelligent astute manager uh, signed me off the back of nothing he just needed a left back to be honest the season had started to be honest with it. <laughs> I, I was in I, I was I was in Swindon um, well I'll tell you what I did actually I went to Cheltenham on loan uh, on trial went to Cheltenham on trial I was there for weeks basically now I know why because they just sold my mate Stephen Gillespie to Colchester, the striker, who works with me now at Liverpool. He was in the youth team with me as well. So they had a bit of money, which they never had. And I went there, I can't remember how. Keith Downing was the manager. He was a lovely, lovely bloke. And I played really well. Really well at left-back. And then at centre-back in, some, in, in a friendly or a reserve game even. And he... He, he couldn't let me go you know he, he wasn't necessarily looking for a left back or whatever he couldn't let me go because I, I really I was playing that well and then he's like he wants to sign me but the chairman's on holiday and all that type of thing and then it just basically boiled down to him saying to the chairman um, I've got this lad from Swindon and I want to sign him and at that point I was on decent wages um, you know especially for Cheltenham so and the chairman just said, you're joking, aren't you? We need a striker. You know what I mean? We've, we've just sold our main striker. Our wages need to go on the strike. So, so many scenarios for all players like that. Because, the, 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 you know, they run out of the budget. So when the budget's gone, they've maybe got 400 quid left or, or, or let's say they've got 1,500 quid left or a grand left a week for a player. The chairman just, you know, will just say to them, you told me you need a striker or... We cannot sign this player. Not how good is this player, in your opinion. So that could have worked out. That could have kept me in the area there. But I mean, I was having a meal with um, Sport Ian Heron, 
and our missus on Saturday night. Season had started. I wasn't too stressed. Was running out of money incredibly quickly. <laughs> um, and my agent rang me and said, need to go to Rotherham tomorrow at 9am. And I was like, oh, God. I'm going to have to go home. I'm going to have to bed early because it's quite a drive. Anyway, Rotherham had a game. Season started. They, were having, they had a game on the Tuesday against Wolves or a big team in the Carling Cup. Um, yeah, I think it was Wolves. And they wanted me registered in time for that. So I drove down, met Mark Robbins for the first time, never even spoken to him on the phone. My agent's there. Signed a deal, less money, two years. Right, signed. Training on Monday, don't know anyone. Turn up to the ground, don't even know where it is because <laughs> it's a Don Valley. Uh, playing against Wolves, who got, you know, we were big, big club. Played really well, played really well, and and started off pretty pretty well there. And it was good, a good team, really good team. We had Adam Lafondra played for us. Uh, Tom Pope played for us. He had a great career. Um, Ruben Reed played for us. So we sold all these players for good money. I was the other striker, Ryan Taylor, ginger yeah. lad. Yeah. Did he go to Bristol City at one yeah, point? Yeah, and, yeah. Great player. He was fourth choice in League Two. We start. I've, I've agreed to sign for them, and then realised we're starting the season on minus seventeen points. <laughs> <laughs> So it was us and Bournemouth. Look at Bournemouth now. Bournemouth started minus 17. We started minus 17. Luton started minus 30. All in the same season. So can you imagine all the, if you're a chairman of a team, a weak team, you just think, don't worry about it. Yeah. Save the budget. But we, us and Bournemouth both got out of it. Luton went down and that was the start of the demise for Luton. But lots of, obviously a lot of change since then. But yeah, big club. Highs and lows, yeah. My, my, yeah, good managers. It was it, it was good. Didn't feel the same, like, but it was, uh, yeah. And then, it was good. and then after that, you fall into what well, you fall into is always the sort of derogatory. It's not the greatest way of wording it, but that's when you begin to go into non-league football with Barrow, and then around the region, really, don't you? Because you're at uh, uh, Vauxhall Motors, who is they're known in Wiltshire because they play Chippenham in the FA Bars in the in the early two thousands. So it's, yeah. it's not, it's, although it's a bizarre name, it's one that's known within some areas of Wiltshire football. And and there was Marine as well. At, at what point are you are you moving towards thinking about academics, thinking about coaching, or are you still hoping that you know when you're at Barrow maybe that there, there may be a chance for a league? Or are you thinking that the I've had my run. Some people get to 38, some people get, you know, don't get as far as 21, 22. I'm happy with my career. It's time to start thinking about, like, yeah. other employment. Well, to be honest, maybe maybe this is why I sort of slipped that. Well, I was at Rotherham. I decided to do, I always liked maths, like I said, did A-level maths. Loved numbers. Uh, my mum was an accountant and stuff. So I thought to myself, I'm going to do an accountancy accountancy training at night school so I did I did this thing called AAT it's like an industry um, so I did that for three years first two years with Rotherham so obviously the other play, the other lads are looking at me like what are you doing so I'm, I'm going off to night school and that and in, in my class in Rotherham I, you know some of the fans and that thinking 
what's going on here and I'm just sat in the class and anyway so yeah I loved it I loved that looked forward to it uh, so I did that came came um, so football wise leave Rotherham well just at the end I go on loan to Mansfield um, big club but in the conference didn't want to go to the conference thought it's fine and I went and it was professional really good professional good players same wages you know what I mean so I thought there's not there's, there's not that much difference anymore in the in the conference national league whatever you want to call it so um, and then leave Rotherham uh, Ronnie Moore good guy got on with him really well uh, just you know I hadn't played that much and it was just like move on yeah fine nice guy People, some people liked him, some people didn't, but uh, I got on really well with him. Spoke to Mansfield a little bit. It was David uh, Holdsworth, Dean Holdsworth, brother. Interesting guy, interesting character. Uh, they offered me, uh, well, not officially, you know, verbally offering you stuff and then it not really panning out. And anyway, this... Didn't really want to go on trials and stuff like that again, but we hadn't even got to that stage really. It wasn't desperation time. It wasn't carry on. Lots of people in the game say don't don't just jump at something, carry on, because managers all get a bit twitchy when the season starts as well. So if you're unattached, you know it's you, you get a chance like like I did with Rodham. So anyway, the Barrow manager who's a scouser kept ring, starts ringing me and ringing me and ringing me, and I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to Barrow. And obviously they're not Mansfield, you know, type of thing. But it carries on, and he, I don't know, he's just, he just gets me at a time where, and then it's like it's basically similar money to what, you know, it's not a hit, it's full time money. And he said, look, we train in Salford, and so you can move back to Liverpool, you can live in Liverpool, you know, and this is what eight years away, you can live in Liverpool. So I'm thinking, okay, and the money is quite similar. And you can have a two-year deal. So, without, you know, overly thinking about it, not a word to me, agent. Uh, I just I signed, moved back to Liverpool, went there, and then that was just... You couldn't comprehend the level of disaster that was. So, so don't really want to talk about it. So, that was an absolute nightmare. So, football-wise, absolute nightmare. Personal, personally, brilliant. Back in Liverpool, near the family, you know, back, get, get a house, move back, carry on with my studies. That's the way I sort of kept my sanity. And then when I was playing, um, I, I was getting forced out on loan at Barrow and things like that. I had to get the PFA involved and just like cow, absolute cowboys, but, you know, kept me cool. And, and uh, so the sort of the, the Vauxhall sort of on loan, and it was just that was just a group of mates, you know what I mean? Barely getting paid. It was just local, local scouse lads having a bit of fun, and and that's what I basically decided to do after battle, rather than traipse myself around. Certainly didn't want to move. Uh, didn't fancy the trials. Um, finished my accountancy, contemplating doing that, and it's around basically when I moved to Barrow and I moved back to Liverpool. I got back in contact with Liverpool. Uh, my mate at the academy who'd uh, basically not had the career I'd had 
from the youth team and stuck around. But now they're 10 years into their coaching careers. So I'm looking up at them thinking, oh, I wish that was me, if you know what I mean, in a weird way. They're probably, they obviously would have thought, Christ, look at Nico, the playing, you know, the career. Wow, amazing. I've now come back, I'm looking at them, full-time jobs, Liverpool Football Club. Wow, and I'm, I've been scratching around, you know, these idiots, basically. <laughs> um, but I just, you know, I, so there was time, there was, a, there was a crossover, basically I start doing, my, I've done my coaching, sorry, I've done my coaching badges, that's another thing. Done my B licence while I'm still playing at Rotherham. Went and did it with Kev Ellison. Um, so yeah, I've done that. Do my AAT. Uh, start start a degree with the uh, sports science degree. Not that I, not that I wanted to do sports science necessarily, but the PFA, you know, fund most of it. So it's a no-brainer. Get a degree. So doing that, doing some of my own coaching, doing some coaching for Liverpool. Not at the academy, in the international academy where I work now. Um, carrying on playing, yeah, it's it's a very strange life, and you know you just you just bo- bobbling along, not earning anything. You don't earn that much as a coach like when you're doing stuff like that. Not earning much playing non-league, but I'm back in Liverpool, I'm happy. And to be honest, I'm, I'm you know it's the building blocks. I'm it's it's another apprentice is how I looked at it. I've started again. I'm not going to earn from football. Never are. I feel like now the position I'm in now with the, you know, I've risen at Liverpool and now they're like the, you know, senior manager at the club in the in the international academy department, flying around the world representing the club, looking after all these coaches, the coach education of them, you know, 23 different countries around the world. It's just, I feel equally as proud now, uh, you know, of, of what I'm doing as I did, you know, with my football things, but. I did my time and I did my qualifications and, you know, it's all part of the story, isn't it, Rich? Do you know what I mean? It certainly is. And, I mean, I keep an eye on the, the fortunes of ex-players, you know, whether their careers at Swindon were good, bad or ugly. And I remember seeing you sort of starting out with, with Liverpool. It felt, and you might correct me here, it felt like your foot's in the door, but you, 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 this is just like a temporary thing. And then slow over the years, like you said, you've, you're now a fixture. You're one of the sort of higher level in that, in that wing of, of coaching. And you get to go to all these great places as well, which is, which is amazing. And that's all you ever want, isn't it? You know, it's just a little bit of interest in your career. And, and I mean, what, what is the goal? Because I mean, I was, I was talking recently to Hasniel Joffrey, who didn't, have especially a conclusion he didn't have a great time at Swindon but he's now working in Manchester United set up and he's you know I I said the same to him you can your contacts with friends can only take you so far in in coaching you've still got to have a philosophy and still you know adhere to what the employers are saying is that still very much the same for you at Liverpool yeah that's the I mean we go all the way back to the start and it's it's Steve Iway and the, he, talk, he used to talk about the Liverpool way. Loads of clubs talk about it now. If you go and watch the, this is Southampton way, and there's there's everything, but with, you know the Liverpool way. So it's that is sort of where the the foundations of what we're doing is, which is my I love my department more than I enjoy it more than I would enjoy being the uh, the under 16s coach at the academy, for example. That stressed me out with the pressures and things. Not the pressures on me, but the kids. 
and the elitism and letting people go and all that. What my department is is saying this is Liverpool, this is how we do things, this is our philosophy. Yes, we're trying to build and create players for the first team, but we're trying to create, you know, better people and build character and everyone can get something out of this experience that you're going to go through and because it's not elite it's not elite what i'm you know the department i work in some of the kids are fantastic and the coaches are great and you know there are some elite teams but it's more to, you know giving people all around the world you know so i if i fly like in the last few months i've been to egypt and as you can imagine the international academy liverpool in, in egypt is absolutely thriving because mo salah is an absolute god so I, you know, I went over there and with a colleague of mine and we took the Champions League trophy, which was an ordeal trying to get it into the country in Egypt. <laughs> it was like, they kept it overnight, they quarantined it, they didn't know what to do. So anyway, themselves with it, probably. <laughs> they did, they did have photos, of, I was watching them have photos with themselves. But anyway, we, so we go to this big event, there's a thousand kids and all their families, red carpet out, security everywhere. And the kids are just, Best, and you know what I mean. They they are playing for Liverpool. In their opinion, I would say to them, you you know, yeah, you're playing for Liverpool Football Club. This is an official program, official partner. You're training in the same way as the kids do at the academy. It's just the happiness, the memories those kids must be getting. Jesus, and then they're there, stood next to the actual Champions League trophy, which has never been to Egypt in its life. Never mind to our academy exclusively for all the kids. So things like that, I absolutely love it. Yeah, and I'm. You know, incredibly proud, and we try. I, I try to get a lot of the kids who are leaving the academy, you know, the the young graduates of the academy who are not making it, and they're around. And they're, I'm forever speaking to the Nick Marshall and Alex Inglethorpe, trying to get. I want to get them into my department as well because I know how much they can add. Because they're me, just you know, years ago. Because once you've been through the system at Liverpool, you can add a lot to to my department when you basically that's what you're selling, that's what you're talking about. So. It's probably you know it's no, it's it's not by chance that like myself and Stephen Gillespie as well, for, who's he had a cracking career by the way, <coughs> better than mine. But he came back exactly the same way, didn't maybe do the non-league, but he quickly came back to Liverpool, went through his got his uh, badges and his training, got into my department at the very bottom, and now is alongside me running things we we pinch ourselves you know what i mean and <laughs> we pinch ourselves every day yeah it's a proactive way of getting the brand around as well isn't it instead of just being like we're on tv drink this beer drink this whatever yeah it's it's playing football and wearing the badge which is when you're international and you're not going to be able to go to anfield it is the next best thing isn't it absolutely yeah i mean it's a yeah it's a commercial thing and it's a brand thing like we my department sits sits within the commercial department you know it, the line managers aren't the academy or whatever looking for players um but it's still you know the product stands up and we we, we our strap line is that we try to be the most you know give, give the kids the most authentic club coaching experience they can get yeah. so um you know there's obviously no promise that all the, whenever you go anywhere they're always talking about can you get scouted go over to liverpool and it's like that's that's not what we're doing. That's not what it's about. But yeah, it is brand. It's it's we've got American owners and they're you know very commercially minded. So there's there's lots of opportunity. They, they, they want to get it out there. I mean, the only thing I'd say is <coughs> of the 
you know, of the 50 people that approach us, you know, one or two might get through because we've got a really high standard and that's what, you know, you've got to have in everything you do. So um, there's a lot that we, you know, we don't just, uh, you know, sign up, get into bed with the partners, shall we say, around the world. Yeah. So before we go, actually, there's one thing that I forgot to ask, isn't there? So I've asked this to all of your teammates from that era and they all said no. Here, are you ready for the question? Yeah, go on, I'm worried now, yeah. Did you buy a Christmas tree from Sammy Parkin? <laughs> yes, I did. Everyone said no. I Yeah, I bought a Christmas tree. I bought a Christmas tree from Sam Parkin um, for at least once. De- I definitely bought one. I can't remember how I got it home, but I remember it went on my balcony of my flat, so I didn't dress it or anything. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> he's come in and said, do you want to buy... Do you want to buy a Christmas tree? I've gone, yeah, of course. Who doesn't? So I bought a real Christmas tree. Then I, put, I got it back and thought, mm, do I want this in my flat? I put it on the balcony uh, and it stayed there until it went brown. <laughs> so anyone who drove past the, you know, the on the road by the, the flats with all the balcony is just, yeah, I, I had a Christmas tree up there. I wonder how I got it back. Just stuck it in the boot. But that's, yeah. what, that's what Sam so did, like, didn't he? He just put it in his car right. and, and from London, I can't, I can't believe... He he sold a few of those. He didn't just sell one to me. It was a thing. <laughs> I, I thought it was a thing, definitely. You think some, yeah. of, them, you think some of them might be telling lies? <laughs> I don't know. I wonder who bought, I'm, trying, I'm thinking now who, who, who else bought them, but yeah, I bought one, stuck it on the balcony, loved it, 20 quid. Lovely stuff. To finish, when you think of Swindon Town, the football club, what immediately springs to mind if you were, if you, regardless, you're not prepping for a podcast, you have a look at a result, you see something that reminds you of Swindon Town, what, what springs to mind? Uh, the start for me, um, which is meeting, the, meeting the, the players at the start, Kingy, going down, signing for the club, making my debut, getting my shirt, number 15 on the back. Have interacting with fans for the first time, and and just becoming a footballer basically. So, you, you know that's like fantastic memories, and you know there's highs and lows, and I got released, and I got I was out the team. All that just fades into one memory, a you know, really strong positive memory for me. Anyway, I might be getting a bit, you know, emotional, but just it was brilliant. Just look back and just think, gee, that was just. What I, what what we did there, you know, the times we had on the on and off the pitch, the mates, the the, the friends you've made, yeah, brilliant. Proud of the um, proud of you know my input in it, and and proud proud to be a part of it, and and to be a part of the history of the club, like you said, five years, hundred and fifty games or whatever it means. So yeah, there's been a bit of a you can't you know no one can take that away from me. So. You know whether you know people thought it, you know, was a good player or not or whatever. Yeah, that's 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 factual now, and yeah, proud of it. And you should be, Andy Nicholas. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks. The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. 
The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford, and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.